the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. Good afternoon, good afternoon everybody, welcome back to the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host Agostino Zynga and I hope you're doing well wherever this podcast may find you, it's I, your host Agostino Zynga, episode number 702, that's 703, I think you say, 703 of the Agostino Zynga show and I hope you are fine wherever this podcast may find you. I hope you are doing great. This is another rare one where I'm doing it live. Usually I don't like doing it live. I like to pre-record it so I have time to edit it and have time to pace myself. But so much interesting breaking news has happened in my little space that I had to you know, lend my flipping opinion on it before I jet back to work again. So I'm very, very sorry that it's coming at you live and I might sound a bit frantic whenever you end up hearing this. If you're wondering why I'm breathing so heavily, why I'm not taking any breaths, why I'm flipping speaking at 75 or more miles per hour, it's because so much stuff has happened at my dear United, at my you know, in, in, within my areas of expertise that I just have to, have to, have to talk about it. So strap in, grab yourself a drink, you know, put some moisturizer on your face, maybe splash some water on your face, whatever you need to do to get going, because I promise you, this is going to be a jam-packed roller coaster of a show, roller coaster jam-packed version of the show. So first things first, before we get into anything, before we get into anything, before we get into anything, right? Let's just pick about this. I'm wondering what's going on nowadays with artists, musicians especially, who are just refusing or are unable to put out hit records. Like, what is that all about? Like, no one's really trying to craft like a banger. Like, okay, I'm trying to go for the summer banger. I'm trying to go for the year, because now, you know, summer's really gone, but I'm trying to go for, like, I want to make the banger for 2023. That doesn't exist anymore. People nowadays are probably thinking more about bodies of work. They're thinking about having singles that maybe, you know, are, are, you know, kind of jump on the algorithms or become viral, whatever it may be. But you rarely hear people now, especially the newer artists, who are actively trying to create hit records. So, it was a pleasant surprise when I was perusing all the newly released singles that came out last week and albums and stuff, because usually I don't listen to singles. Usually I'm a, I'm a weird person like that. I have to listen to bodies of work, unless it's like a single from somebody I trust. I just kind of put them to one side. So I thought, you know what? Let me listen to this single because I trust every single person involved in this record to make a good tune. Let me just whack it on and see Wagwan. And I was pleasantly surprised to hear how fresh and hitty this particular song sounded and if you want to know what song i'm talking about 
It's a song by Timberland, Nelly Furtado and Justin Timberlake called Keep Going Up. It's a bit cheesy. It's a bit of a bop, right? It's the kind of thing that you might put on in a shower when you're getting ready and stuff. But it really reminded me of a time in history where people, especially artists, would go out of their way to try and create hit records. People don't do that nowadays, and I'm not really sure why. Don't get me wrong. Keep going is not going to, you know, keep going up isn't going to change the world. It's not super fucking out of the ordinary, but it just sounds like Timberland was trying to make a hit record. When he put this beat together, he was like, okay, let's put something together that slaps, but also something together that's a bop, something that together that's light, that's airy, that sounds fun. And then let's get Nelly Furtado and just with Justin Timberlake in the studio and let them fucking crone on it. Right, do you know what I mean? Opening verse, chorus and stuff, you know, like layering the voices, like stupendous. And this track as well, the really funny thing about it, the really interesting thing about it is that I feel like nowadays, a lot of records, I don't know if you, maybe it's my DJ brain, but I feel like a lot of records nowadays, they have a lot of like, there's a lot of repetition, especially in the first, maybe like 16 bars of a track. It kind of feels like the beat repeats, a phrase repeats, a drop repeats, an opening verse repeats, whatever. It's just a lot of repetition. But I like that in this particular track, I'm pretty sure it's like, 12 seconds in because it's a bop already uh, it, it comes on i think it starts like with the I, I keep going i keep going up yeah exactly you hear that little croning thing happen on the intro and then immediately the beat kicks in immediately the beat kicks in after this little crony like kind of you know um intro thing with um timberland's justin timberlake sorry voice kind of echoing in the background immediately on like the 12 second mark maybe 11 second mark um the beat drops in and usually nowadays, other songs, you, it kind of gets to 30 seconds before you hear a vocal sometimes. Or even something before the, even the beat even kicks in. So it's really good to kind of hear it kick in and then you're, you're, you're ready to dance straight away. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the song that came out the other... Um, recently this year that was meant to be a banger that kind of came and went um troy sivan's rush that had a similar sort of feel to it like it didn't it didn't take it didn't have to take ages to warm up it just sort of hit you across the head and kind of made you decide hey do you want to bop to me are you going to skip this record like you have to make a decision now it's not going to let you like f sit with it and think and then deliberate and then make your mind up no 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 we're going to go for it straight away and it, it really is a bit of a bop and it's so much of a bop that i was thinking to myself you know what this actually sounds like a lot of the records these days to this year especially that i feel like try to be hit records and then i put it in a playlist of back-to-back -back songs and it sounded perfect together i put it in a playlist alongside troy sivan's rush and alongside kylie minogue's album that came out oh sorry single that came out um recently too called was it uh padam padam play those songs back to back play Tracy Van's Rush, play Keep Going, or Keep uh, or Keep Going Up, sorry, by Nelly Furtado, Justin Timberlake and Timberland, and then play Padam Padam by Kylie Minogue back to back, and I guarantee you will have a little good 16, no, 13 minute bop that you could kind of have on your playlist. It's really, really good, those songs. I really recommend them if you haven't listened to them already. They got me in a good mood. I had them playing in the gym and I was feeling good. I had it played on, usually, you know, a good sign of a record that's really fun and I'm enjoying is I'm flipping, just pressing, you know, I'm re 
rewinding it back again. I'm going back again, back again. Or I might even go in the options bar and say, you know what? Repeat that one record again, my friend. Repeat that record again. And I've enjoyed it. So big up Timberland um, and, you know, and Nelly Furtado and Timberlake for putting together an absolutely banging record. Um, keep going up by those three. Check it out if you haven't already, please. It's absolutely fantastic. Next on the list, to quickly mention this, quick little moan. So, the other day, I went out for the first time in a long, 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 long time. Um, for the most part, I'm not really too sure why I haven't been going out. I think most of it has to do with laziness, to be completely honest. And obviously, I've had a lot to do. I haven't really had time to go out and get kind of buck wild. So, I've kind of, you know, purposely been leaving the outdoor life to like, you know, for another time, right? It is what it is. Um. So, finally got out, had a good time, but it was a bit of an interesting experience because I think I had a bit of a, you know, I had a bit of a, a revelation. So, I decided to go out and test the waters and go to a new club that I haven't been to before called 60 Dock Road. It's this club by a former club in London that was really amazing in Tottenham called The Cause. They've now got two locations. They've got this place called 60 Dock Road that's near the Canning Townish type area in East London. And then they've got this other venue in Hackney Wick, which um, I forgot the name of it, but it's basically, you know, this it's two different type of clubs. There's one that's got an outdoor space, one that doesn't have an outdoor space for the most part in, in parts of London. So whatever. So the 60 Dock Road place is a place where they usually have the longer late night type of events because it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. You can kind of get, a, you can kind of get away with a lot more over there. And I haven't been there yet just yet. So I decided to go there for a night called Adonis, which is primarily a gay, queer, LGBTQ forward party, which you can tell straight away by checking out their Instagram, right? You kind of get the vibe of what they're about from their logo and the Instagram and stuff. But in general, they usually have some really interesting and fresh bookings. That's the main reason why I want to go, right? A lot of DJs that I like, and um, specifically this time around, they had this DJ called Cormac, um, who's one of my favorite disco DJs to go and listen to. He was going to play there, and usually he's, you know, he's a kind of, you know, he's a bit of a big deal. He plays at a lot of like really famous clubs around the world. So to see him play at this kind of like, you know, a club that's like a little bit below maybe his level was quite cool because it's quite nice to see these bigger DJs get a chance to play at smaller clubs because usually they like that experience and they kind of, you know, take it um, with both hands and kind of really show out. So I was really looking forward to seeing Cromac perform at 60 Dock Road. So I decided to venture out and, you know, maybe it was the wrong type of place to go to that late at night because i did decide very late at night maybe like 2 a.m that i was going to go there the previous um plan was to go to fold for the mala june tonight i went to go see d dan and dj tool play um and hype activists and stuff but late you know i made a last minute change i was like you know what fuck fold i go there all the fucking time it's a bit boring um let me switch it up a little bit and go somewhere else so let's go to the next place i go to the next place i decide to jump in an uber all good no problem arrive at the place a bit quicker than I thought I would arrive there and it's not really exactly on the map where it should be but I arrived there it's all well and good and then as soon as I get there I probably should have realized like again this is, doesn't mean anything really in the big scheme of things but I think I should have realized that the night wasn't gonna go well from my first interaction as I pulled up to the club because 60 Dock Road, the, the the kind of the street it's on, it kind of feels because everyone's around. Because I didn't realize, because it's the first time I've been there, I didn't realize that everyone standing around was either waiting for an Uber to get there, or they were probably waiting for their dealers to come and deliver them their drugs or something. I don't know. 
So I, so I didn't know where the entrance was. So I jumped out of Uber and I was like, to some random girl that was coming out, I was like, oh, hey, is this 60 Dock Road? Like, you know, trying to point behind where she was going or is it over there? Like, I didn't really know where I was. And she kind of gave me like a bit of a frosty response. Like, leave me alone. I, yeah, of course it's over there kind of thing. And that immediately put me in like in a bad space. I was like, oh, fucking hell. Like, what the hell's going on? I just got here and I'm already vibing out people, right? <laughs> like, okay, cool. Well, okay, no worries. It is what it is. Everyone's out to think what they think. So I continue to walk in. I continue to walk in to go to the place. And as soon as I get to the to near where the doors were, they've got this fucking airport terminal security thing. We have to kind of snake around. And maybe it's just me. And maybe I'm just too spoiled from going to all these other cool, you know, European cities and partying in places where they don't search you like you're fucking going through the airport. But that sort of stuff really bums me out. I'm like, oh, for goodness sake, I'm going to have to take off my bag, fucking spread myself like a starfish. Like, it's just another little bit of a vibe killer. Anyway, we go through that. The security that are doing it are pretty cool. No problem. Um, you know, I know where to put my things. All, all well and good. I get to the point where I'm going to get the tickets. And then it's a second sign that this night isn't going to go well. As I pull up to the place, I'm going to get the tickets. You know me. I want to be fun. I want to be ha-ha-hee-hee. So the guy at the, <laughs> at the ticket boofing is like looking down at his phone. And, and the booth is like a little bit high up. No, and I'm not a short guy, but it's a little bit high up. It's not like low. It's not like eye level. It's a bit high up. So you kind of look at, so you kind of feel like you're in school looking up at the headmaster. So I rock up to the to the little table. I'm like, hey, hey, could I get a, um, a ticket, please? And then as I'm saying that, because it's like, I don't know, half two, and they were, I think, closing, or I think last century was like three or something, I tried to make a joke about, oh, um, I just got here in time or something along those lines, right? Maybe it didn't come out right. I don't know. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's the way I speak. Maybe it's my breath. Who knows? But that guy did not, did not respond <laughs> in the slightest to my attempt to kind of ha-ha-he-he break the ice or make a joke in that weird little, you know, moment where he was trying to get the ticket thing up. Nah, nothing. He's like, he's like, yeah. And then that was it. And then he said, oh, can you give me your phone? Can you hand me your phone? I got the phone. I gave the phone to him. And then he just like put my put the sticker on there where well, you meant to get a little sticker, right? You see that little Adonis sticker down the back so you can cover the camera. And then he just handed me back my phone. Or just didn't hand back my phone. He just pushed it back towards my direction. And I said, oh, um, is there no wristband or anything? He's like, no. And then just continued looking back down on the phone again. And I was like, oh, my God. I got kind of vibed out at the front before I walked in when I asked that girl, hey, is that the place? And she reacted like I tried to fucking jump inside her skirt. Cool. Then when I go to the door to go and pay for the ticket, the guy then like couldn't give a fuck if I was there or not. And then decided, you know, to kind of send me on my way. Then I'm kind of walking through the place to go to 60 Dock Road. And it's a very expansive space. It's a really amazing space, to be fair. Um, unfortunately for us in London, most likely because 60 Dock Road has become quite popular and everyone goes there to club, as per usual, gentr the gentrification hammer will come, you know, over that place very, very quickly, if it hasn't already. And I'm sure in a couple of years, it will all be turned into fucking, you know, um, pathetic glass and steel, you know, fucking flats that nobody needs. But right now, it's a very cool space. There's loads of little corners to sit around in. Um, there's loads of little rooms to go in. It's a really expansive place. But it's huge, huge place. So you walk in and there's this area before you get to the club where everyone's sort of sitting around. It's all like a smoking area. It's like got like, there's like benches and chairs everywhere. And because it's like a gay night, 
you know, there's loads of dudes around and everybody's looking at everyone. Like, it's because that's what usually happens. It's like everybody's just like, they're on it. They're ready to go. Whatever action, they're ready to go. But it's also a little bit like high schoolish. You kind of feel a little bit awkward because you're not too sure if they're checking you out. They're judging you. They're like, you know, <laughs> they're saying mean things about you. You don't know. So you're walking in, so you walk in the gate and it's like this big space where everyone's in front, like, you know, looking cool and shit. And here I am clumping along, right? <laughs> Trying to find my way and everyone's just staring at me or like whoever's just walked in, not just me, everybody. Now I'm thinking, oh man, damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it. This is not going to go well. So anyway, I think, you know what? Whatever, dumb, no problem. Let me head, let me do my usual, head straight to the flipping toilets, you know, dick, have a little dick dack, have a little dad that, and then I'll, I'll be ready in my mood. So I went to the toilets, and then of course I get into the toilets, and you know, the toilets is just, it's fucking, it's fucking hot heaven. Do you know what I mean? If you're into dudes, the toilet was like just full, wall to wall of like the most ripped jack guys I've ever seen in my entire life. Like everybody just looked like, Everybody looked like they just finished their CrossFit class that night and they went straight to the clubs. People were just like tops off, jacked, ready to go, right? You walk into there. So, and again, they've probably all been, all been out way longer than I have as well. Let's keep that in mind. So I'm walking into a club at like half two when these guys have been here since like 10 a.m. So I'm right, you know, like I'm, it's, it's the wrong time. So I get in there and everyone's like, Arr! and I'm like just trying to get my, my myself, my bearings in. I have my little dick, dick, dick talk. But, you know, that energy is a bit weird to get into because everyone's up and I'm like still just, you know, I've just arrived. I've probably had a couple fucking, you know, beers on the way there, but nothing crazy. Then I get to the dance floor and it's amazing. The dance floor is fucking amazing. Like, honestly, I hear Cormac playing for maybe the last half an hour or 45 minutes and he absolutely kills it. And it legitimately reminded me of some of the best nights I've had in other parts of Europe that other people like, like Berlin and stuff. It literally reminded me of that. Like, it was so cool to be in a London club and see people dancing everywhere like wall to wall no one on their phone no one fucking acting too stush acting too cool everyone just going for it throwing shapes dancing amazing you had all these um amazing uh fucking what what you gonna call it um people dancing on the on the tables next to the dj booth which you don't see ever happening in london because everyone here is so like shy and scared about this sort of stuff and security toys to come and jump down the tables but you see all these amazing looking guys and girls and whatever on these on the dj booth dancing around and 60 dock road has this amazing kind of little space behind the dj booth it's kind of like a little it's kind of like a little like dance area but also seating but also you could jump up and dance basically on the dj booth type of thing it's flipping amazing the little space they've got there's a massive disco ball that kind of hangs really low like it's super sick amazing great dance floor everywhere everything was amazing i loved it right i really really loved it and then you had like a couple flipping you had a couple flipping um really amazing looking flipping um drag queens dancing on either end of the table that cormac was was like djing on that was absolutely amazing to see so all of that fantastic great loved it but i just wasn't getting there like everything was amazing the um, atmosphere the people i just wasn't able to kind of rev up i wasn't able to rev up and after a while you know i i kept trying to chase it by going to the toilets and getting my little dig dig tack tack on but that also wasn't working so i got to a point where i was like you know what i'm experienced enough now 
where no, if you keep chasing the, this, you know, if you keep chasing this moment, it's just never going to happen. And then you're just going to be in a weird space by the time six o'clock comes around. So I just pressed pause at like four, half four. I just pressed pause. I was like, you know what? I'm going to press pause. I'm done now. And then I was done. I was just kind of observing it as I can, you know, as I can, I was just observing it like an observer, you know, just standing around. And then I immediately felt like, you know what? I shouldn't be here, <laughs> you know? Now I kind of get it. I shouldn't be here because I'm not partaking in all the fun that these guys are having, clearly. And I'm just taking up space because I'm not really enjoying, I'm not really dancing or having a good time. So why the hell am I here? I should go somewhere else, really and truly. And that's when I actually, embarrassingly enough, understood now, for real, why gays queers and people from that lgbtq community especially in london why they get so annoyed when the cis people like myself go to their spaces because we take up space we take up room whatever it may be and i'm pretty sure we just emanate a vibe of just not being congruent to what they're doing we're not clocked in like because i go to a lot of these parties anyway so i'm not freaked out by anything that i'm seeing right it's not so i'm not like i'm going oh my god i mean i'm i'm cool with everything going around but i'm sure even me being cool i still emanate i still kind of emit a vibe or something do you know what i mean that i'm not really part of their community or part of their crew just you can't help but just emit that it's just gonna come off of you right um that's why fucking gay does probably exist and shit so it just didn't click so i just realized you know what i'm taking up space i shouldn't really be here you know what I mean? That's when I kind of realized what's going on. I was like, oh, this doesn't make no sense. But then when I kind of got past all that, I was already there. You know, I'm not going to leave now. I just flipping got there. I was like, you know what? I've also realized I'm kind of getting bored of it as well, a little bit. Because I was in a space where I was surrounded by people who were really enjoying themselves and having a time of their lives. And I got to say, in London now, if you're from that community or if, you, if you're a part of that community, there's no better time to club or probably there's no better city in, the, in, in Europe with the exception of maybe, you know, Berlin and Amsterdam where you can flip in party at all these amazing uh, gay, queer, LGBTQ plus friendly events. We have some of the best I say that some of the best in Europe, maybe even the world right now. It's probably the best moment ever. We can, it's a great renaissance, all those events, because they've, they, they're making these events, you know, they're super focused and catered to their community. They don't give a fuck about anybody else. They're just trying to talk to their people. They book their people. They promote it to their people. And that's it. Some of these events... They don't even put them up on resident advisor. Some of these events are like word of mouth. Like I've I've seen certain group chat conversations where people are like, hey, don't post about this on Instagram. Don't share this anywhere. Don't tag your locations. Like some of these events are like proper like needs to know basis because they don't want to let any outside forces that are not don't get it to be in there and ruin the mood. So that's how much um you know, that's how much that's how much care is being given to this, right? That's how much attention to detail is going into creating these amazing nights because people know in London, by and large, the club scene is shit. It's fucking terrible. Don't let anybody lie to you. Fold is the only decent club we have and Fold isn't like, you know, the, the greatest club in the world. It's the only good club we have and everybody puts on a pedestal because it's the only decent one we have. Everything else is fucking garbage. A lot of these good DJs that are coming in and playing in London, unless they're playing in Fold and stuff, it's a waste of time, really, for the most part. Every other club they go to is a waste of time because, you know, it's not going to be open too long. The club itself is shit. It's got crazy security. Like, all of it is fucking nonsense. So these other events 
that those people from that community, the gay, queer, LGBT community are doing, they're doing them in interesting spaces, they're doing them outdoors, they're doing them in like warehouse spaces and unlicensed spaces, they're booking interesting DJs, they're installing their own sound systems, they're actually, um, what's that word called? They're doing a lot of the... I guess you call it production when it comes to kind of just putting the event together and having loads of amazing, like, and even at that, even at Adonis, they had these amazing films playing on the screen, adult films. They had these amazing disco balls and art installations and amazing drag queens walking around the place and everybody dressing in amazing outfits. Oh, and one thing that was interesting to say, one thing that was interesting to say with this, it was actually refreshing to go to a London nightclub listening to that type of music and seeing people who were wearing harnesses and braces and stuff, right? But they were actually functional. Because a lot of the times that you go out now in London, everybody's kind of wearing PVC and like, you know, harnesses and latex and all this malarkey. And it's just like techno cosplay, right? They just make, it's just pretend shit. It's just all these cute girls wearing this stuff that's from this very, very um, niche subculture, but they don't know nothing about it. They just want to look hot. Whereas it's good to see and go to those type of nights like Adonis and see guys actually using the harness. You know what I mean? Using wrist straps, like, yeah, you know I mean, dog walking each other around the club. That was actually refreshing to see. I'm not going to lie. I was like, okay, thank God. These guys are really about that life. There's none of that fucking techno fucking cosplay shit. None of that fucking pretend. Oh, look, I like to party, party. I'm going to buy an Amazon fucking strap. Nah, these guys were really using straps. No pun intended. Like, straps were being used in that place. And it was refreshing to see. Refreshing to see. But it was also a really stern reminder for myself that not all raves are created equal and not all raves are for you. Sometimes it's good to just leave these things for the people that it's made for and for you to, unfortunately, go to my shitty, boring, drab, repetitive, nonsense, cis parties. It's honestly annoying. Because, you know, I'm going to have to go to, what, Phonics again. I'm going to have to go try and make Pickle Factory work. I'm going to have to try to go to make, go, go fucking Night Tales. It's bullshit and it's terrible. So I've decided now, going forward, most likely, what I'm going to do is just have a break. I'm going to have a break until the end of the year. If I want to go out and get my race fix, like if I go to flip, if I want to go out, what I'm going to probably end up doing is going to flipping um, Pirate Studios right and gonna go do a go and dj there that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go pirate studios i'm gonna book a little session there and play my things maybe stream something and go and dj but the times of me going out and just trying to wing it and try my luck in places they're gone i'm not doing it anymore it's too crap it's too shit out there and these type of parties like adonis they're amazing they're brilliant they're fun times but they're not made for me you know, and I'm just taking up space. I'm not there in the same vibe as them. I'm arriving at half two in the morning, you know, still kind of sober, chasing a high, looking like an absolute statue in the corner of the fucking rave or an undercover cop or something like, you know what I mean? Vibing everybody out. So I'd rather not go there and ruin these people's nights and just do my own thing at Pirate. But I'm also not going to waste my money and go and get frisked like I'm at an airport and go to fucking Fabric. I'm not doing that. So I'd rather just have a strong break and just relax that's what i'm gonna do but i do encourage you if you are a part of that community or you do want to engage in some acts or whatever you want to do and you're looking for an alternative night to go out to i do implore you to check out 
fucking Adonis. It was really good. It was spread, I think, across like four rooms. It was on from like nine to like 8 a.m. in the morning. Like it was crazy, like crazy. And this part of East London that it's in is Canning Town. It's kind of like a place where I basically grew up and it's a very rundown area, but it's also very, um, it's kind of an, un it's kind of an untapped space. Uh, it's kind of far out of place, you know, not, not near a lot of residential homes. So a lot of the complaints that, you know, um, homeowners have about noise pollution doesn't exist there. So they can go a bit crazy with the sound. Like it was really loud in there. They were, you know, they kind of were going a bit over the limit and whatnot. And I think most of it's because of where it is location wise. So it's a really fun place to go to those type of places. So I really do recommend you go check it out. But yeah, that was my epiphany when I went there. I was like, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, just maybe these parties aren't for me. That's what I came away thinking. Maybe these parties aren't for me. Maybe. But yeah, go check out um, Adonis. Those guys do flipping amazing parties. I had a great time. I just wish I came into it with a better fucking mood and I would have enjoyed it more. But hey, there it is. There it is. So quickly moving on. I want to talk about this. So this news came across my timeline recent or just now before I started streaming or before I started recording this podcast. And it's regarding the one and only Heron Preston. My guy Heron Preston has just got a flipping amazing gig um, confirmed here, courtesy of Business of Fashion. It says H&M taps Heron Preston as creative menswear advisor. Now, off the back of the news about Tremaine having to step down at Supreme because he felt like Supreme was systemically racist and all the conversation around that, it's quite nice to see somebody from that Virgil Abloh RIP crew um, get a chance at doing, uh, having one of these jobs where you're kind of, you know, you've got a big job for a big brand and you're kind of overseeing something you know, overseeing a whole little team and stuff, and maybe that can help out your own little thing. So it's kind of cool to see that going. So let's read the actual article. Um, you know, my man, you know, guy like me doesn't pay for flipping business or fashion accounts and stuff. So I had to quickly load the page up and, you know, and do a little thing. So let's see what it says in the actual article on business or fashion. So they said the following, um, H&M has recruited Streetwear designer Heron Preston to be in-house advisor, forming what the company calls a long-term partnership that will yield Preston's first, sorry, his own seasonal capsule collections for the brand, as well as his input on the menswear line. That's pretty incredible. So not only is he going to have, um, not only is he going to have a collaboration with H&M, he's also going to have the ability to influence what they do globally overall for menswear. That's a pretty interesting design challenge. I think that's a pretty cool thing to try to tackle. Um, because maybe in some ways, being the creative director supreme is way harder because they're quite locked in to what they do. And also it's not the most, although it's really popular, it's not like a super commercial brand. It's still kind of very niche. It still talks to a particular type of audience. They still do things a certain way. It's still kind of run by one guy and James Jebbia. Do you know what I mean? It's, they don't really have many shareholders they have to answer to apart from um, VF Corp and whatnot. So it probably is a harder job to do because there's a lot more restrictions that you have to kind of, you know, dance around or move around and stuff. But when it comes to the H&M stuff, you would imagine um, because it's a corporation, they're going to give you a little bit more license to like do some stuff right? Because they, they basically tapped you because you're this quote unquote celebrity designer, you're well known. And then they want to kind of get the most out of you. So they're going to give you license to do stuff. And then of course, if the sales bang, 
then boom, you've got the runway to do like way more stuff. So maybe there's an argument to be said, being the H&M creative advisor for menswear is an actual easier job than being the Supreme creative director. It doesn't sound like it because Supreme is just t-shirt and hoodies, but I think there's some truth in it. It continues. The fast fashion giant, like many other accessible brands, is no stranger to collaborations. Since the early 2000s, H&M has brokered annual collaborations with some of the fashion's biggest names, including Maison Margiela, Stella McCartney, and Versace. Um, H&M had made a splash in February after launching a coveted collaboration with celebrity fashion uh, label Sorry Mugler, whose namesake designer Terry Mugler died a year prior. Head of the release, shoppers queued Okay, cool, we heard about that. Um, but like so many collaborations, the excitement was there for one day and gone the next. With Heron Preston, H&M is breaking this decades-long playbook on collaborations. Instead of investing in a short-term hype that comes with one-type, one-off type, type uh, tie-ups, H&M is betting that Preston's continued presence at the brand will boost the appeal of its core products in the long run. The company has dubbed this partnership H2. Ah, get it? Ah. H&M could use the boost. In recent years, the retailer has come under increasing pressure from agile, online-only, fast fashion conglomerates such as Sheen. So H&M is competing with Sheen. Can you imagine that world that we live in? Because, you know, if you're going to wear, like, fast fashion shit, I would pick, you know, the stuff that you'd get from Uniqlo, H&M, and even Zara over Sheen. But I guess nowadays, because people just want certain looks, you can get a certain look from Sheen. Like, if I'm sure there does exist a version of double knee pants if you just want the style. If you want the style of Carhartt double knee pants, I'm sure if you go and Sheen right now, you can find something along those lines for far cheaper than you're going to buy double knee pants, even used. They might not be wearable after two wears. They might absolutely disintegrate in the wash. But if you just want the look, then you can do it. So H&M are having to flip in battle with those type of guys in real time, which is fucking crazy because H&M's price point, you know, it's it's not expensive, but also it's not as cheap as Sheen. So a lot of people out there that are actually, but which is funny as well, I always sort of think about this. Whenever I see people on, you know, fashion Twitter arguing about collaborations, arguing about collections and whatnot, I always think to myself like, how much actual designer do you actually have in your wardrobe? A lot of these people that have the biggest opinions sometimes or the most controversial ones usually have a wardrobe that consists of mostly high street stuff. But here they are pontificating about collections and what this designer should have done and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, brother, come on, sister, come on. Anyway, it continues. We know people will appreciate the product Heron creates simply because of who he is, says Daniel Herman, director of H&M's menswear business. And we were excited to bring his creative vision deeper inside our process too. Yo, Daniel, pause, brother. Deeper inside our process too. Bro, he really likes Heron, isn't it? He really likes him. Big up, HP. Retailers like Uniqlo have had success by deploying a more permanent collaboration strategy than the sporadic cap capsules. In 2016, the Japanese chain tapped um, French designer Christopher Lemaire or Christophe Lemaire um, to be in the in-house artistic director. Um, launching the Uniqlo U-line of elevated everyday basics that quickly became a cult favorite among fashion insiders. Since then, Uniqlo U and Uniqlo at 
large has garnered mainstream popularity among young consumers thanks to high quality products Lemaire's um, signature functional designs and a few viral moments Asics meanwhile has transformed its niche sports footwear into a coveted line of fashion forward sports style sneakers courtesy of long-term collaborations with London-based menswear designer Kiko Kostaninov who's also a fervent he was back in the day Virgil hater like you know if you know you know anyway Preston will have a wider ranging reign over H&M's menswear offering um seeing four pillars design advisory which will see him consult on brands mainline menswear special collaboration designed specifically by Preston talent curation um in intended to allow Preston to connect creatives in his network for additional collaboration with H&M that is such a genius move that is such a genius move it continues which will include projects such as circular uh, or circulatory was how would you say that word circular circularity circularity initiative what the fuck is that what does circular circularity mean me never heard this word what what does circularity mean circularity what the fuck is that round design what the fuck does round design mean circularity okay whatever um circularity initiative in which consumers can submit their old clothing oh fuck come on bro come on man just i don't know what do they call it nowadays um repurposed uh re i don't know whatever just use that word circularity man those buzzwords just that just mean they're gonna take your old shit and what stitch new logos on it or double stitch the fucking seam or something like come on or patch up the holes come on bro circularity anyway i love you h&m but you gotta chill can submit their old clothing for their for use in future capsule collections designed by preston which i guess ties into that thing that he did with the new york city fucking department of whatever he did back in the day the idea at first it says as a quote it's for our work to be very experimental, said Preston, who began his in integration with the brand this month with knowledge sharing and consulting session with H&M design team. Look at how they approached this, bro. They had Heron Preston in a whole month before this got announced, doing knowledge sharing and consultancy sessions. So basically he went and had one month's worth of training and handover with whoever had that job previously before it was announced. That might be the actual way to go and do these collaborations going forward. Because a lot of these people, they're going to want to tap in or they're going to want to tap up for collaborations. Like, if you think about it, a lot of these big um, fashion houses, a lot of these big brands, um, a, lot, a lot of these people basically just want to guarantee sales. And the only way to guarantee sales is to tap up the most popular people, the people that are selling the most. And usually, for the most part, the people who are selling the most are the ones that have the least formal training. But it's also a big risk, right? The ones that at least have the least formal training, it's also a big risk to get them and to plug them into your organization and hope that it kind of works. So what better way to kind of, you know, increase your chance of success by having them come in and actually learn how you guys work and how you operate, how you do things before they then go and do their own thing. That is the best way to do it because I know for me, when you start a new job, there's nothing worse than getting shitty training. You get shitty training or you start a new job and you're a bit shy. You don't want to ask any questions because you don't want to seem like you don't know what you're doing. You're a little bit insecure or you're a little bit, 
you know, whatever it may be. Maybe you don't have the experience anyway. You just got the job off a fluke, whatever it may be. But when you start, you're already starting, you know, kind of at a disadvantage. So you don't even get a chance to even flex whatever creative muscles, um, whatever creative flair you have. You don't even get a chance to flex it because you don't even have to do the fundamentals. Unless you have no other fundamentals, you can't really get creative. So it's really good that they're giving him, hey, here's some training, base level stuff. Here's how we work. Here's how the processes are. Here's how to get things approved. Here's who you need to go to in order to kind of, you know, whatever it may be, just so you can then go in and then if you want to get a bit creative, you want to get a bit innovative, you want to kind of break the rules, you know where, you know, the, you know what the flipping minimum requirements are, you know what the rules are, and you can kind of work around in, in them, over them, wherever it may be. It's a really great way to approach these sort of celebrity collaborations, you know, celebrity quote-unquote, I would say, but you know what I mean. It continues. Preston's first 40-piece collection for the retailer is expected to launch in 2024. For the first, uh, for the fast fashion giant, working with Preston, a serial collaborator who launched collections with the likes of Calvin Klein, Nike, and even New York De Department of Sanitation. That's what I said before, which may be tie in with the whole um, circularity, circularity thing. Um, offers a chance to tap into the multi-hyphenates creative um, cultural cachet among young menswear consumers. And that's where I think Heron might win. Because I think because he's been, he's had the experience of working at Nike having all these collaborations under his belt and always kind of being, I think, a little bit of an outsider because whenever I think of Heron's fashion or Heron's a person, as a person, I always think of somebody who, for me, isn't really a fashion guy. He's similar to Tremaine in a way. He's more of an ideas guy. And maybe in Heron, it's more even increased. He's more like a proper, proper ideas guy. So I think ideas guys can approach these sort of challenges a little bit more open-minded because it then becomes uh, a design a design challenge more so than okay I need to kind of get across my creativity or my fashion knowledge or my expertise or prove myself it becomes okay how do I figure out this design problem right like, and how do I kind of, and it's an interesting problem to kind of uh, tackle like designing on that sort of scale on is probably something that most people who work in that kind of field would want to you know try their luck at because you get to take some of your ideas that you do with your own brand and you get to kind of you know disseminate it on the biggest scale or you get to try out some new interesting stuff that you would never have access to because you're working at that sort of level and that knowledge you would assume will really help you when you then go back and work on your own brand i think that sort of stuff is way different than having two like you know, fashion brands at the same time. That's probably hard to kind of split your kind of creative muscles or juices, you know, between two of those kind of places. But when you're kind of operating at a really high level or a really overground level with H&M and then you've got your quote-unquote underground street-level brand, it's a bit easier to kind of take ideas from the top and give them to the bottom and take ideas from the bottom and give them to the top. So I think his knowledge of working within those corporate structures will put him in a way better place than maybe Tremaine. Like, he's worked with... A, he's had he's had a boss. He's, you know, he's, he's had collaborations. Um, he's had people maybe checking his work and giving him notes. All those sort of things that maybe somebody that's already kind of done their own thing, had their own clout, kind of maybe find it hard to kind of work in. He probably knows how to kind of work within those constraints and still get his message across so i think that's gonna lend him a good stead it continues at the end of the day we want to stay relevant says herman we wanted to find a way to enhance our designers collaborations in a way that actually brings inspiration into our internal process not just a project that 
runs from a limited time. The designer was a frequent collaborator of Off-White founder Virgil Abloh, with whom he co-founded the streetwear and DJ collective Bin Trill in 2012. That's the interesting thing about ideas, isn't it? And that's why I think, myself included, it's so crucial to make sure that you get out all your ideas. Doesn't matter how dumb they are, make sure you ship them. And I'm not talking about putting stuff on flipping PDFs or putting stuff on line sheets or saving stuff as PNG files or having stuff on your lacy drive. I mean, absolutely, you know, without, you know, without any rhyme or reason, shipping your shit. Whether it's a book, whether it's a video, whether it's a mix, whether it's a t-shirt, like ship it. Actually have it available for people to consume, people to buy, people to touch, people to experience. Put it out there because you never know how that piece of work will be looked at many years on when you then do the next big thing. Because at the time when Bin Trill was out here, people were laughing at these guys. They were laughing at them. They were like, what the hell are these guys doing? They think they got this like little streetwear boy band thing. The designs are horrible. This is so cringe. They can't DJ. This is shit. This is lame. And now look, many years since that thing has happened, whenever these guys get referenced in articles, it's always this collective crew, this flipping click, this, this, um, um, this, whatever. Jeremy, you know I they always talk about it in really lofty terms, you know? They talk about it in really lofty terms. And when at the time when it was on, when it was out there, people hated it. I remember having my little Bintrill hat. Like, I bought one of those hats. I bought one of the Bintrill 40-ounce Vans hats with the New York and the hashtags on either side and all the other shit around it. Like, I, I, I'm probably sure, if I go back to my mom's, I'm probably sure I probably have it somewhere. I bought one of those fucking hats for, like, $50. And, it's, and it took, like, I had to pay $50 to fucking get it shipped. So I spent, like, $100 on a fucking snapback, right? And I remember... People used to laugh at me. People used to laugh at me, mate. They used to call me corny, call me lame. Now look, mate, the people that designed that stuff have now gone into essentially be, you know, some of the most important designers in culture right now. The ones that are literally leading the way. The ones that are on the mood boards of all these big brands and executives and trend forecasting companies. Like these are the guys actually paving the way. These guys that did these hashtag things and, you know, they were all awkwardly standing behind behind the decks of some shitty pioneers that they hired. Like, this is what it's led to now. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it continues. Um, DJ Kent has been trill and also worked as creative director... Sorry, also worked as artistic director for Ye, the rapper designer formerly known as Kanye West. Presser remains at the helm of his namesake brand since it launched in partnership with New Gods Group in 2017. The brand stocks is stocked sorry, at several luxury retailers, including Cess, Essence, Harrods, and End. The story of him starting, um, what you call it, Heron Preston, and also then having, you know, having the ability to work in New Gods Group and Virgil being the guy that brought him in is really sweet. I think the idea was like, oh, he kept designing one-off little things and then Virgil just kind of challenged him like a friend and said, hey, you got to do more, man. Put out some more stuff. He made some more stuff and then Virgil kind of passed him on to his friends over at New Guards Group who also own Off-White and then the rest is history. Then he went into partnership with them and then and they ended up producing, you know, or manufacturing whatever you, you, you want to call it, his brand. It's pretty cool how that story ties together. So he really has a lot to thank that guy for everything that he has so far. So it continues. Preston said that he was drawn to the opportunity to work at H&M because he welcomed the challenge of elevating the brand's overall product offerings. Wow, he's really on it, isn't it? Look at that. He wants to elevate what they have. One guy, big up him. I was bored at the time H&M approached me. 
I'm glad he said that. I'm glad he said that. Because I was going to say the last two or three collections of Heron Preston have been pretty boring and devoid of inspiration. They've all kind of felt the same. Now, I don't blame the guy because there's only so many ways you can present that almost utilitarian workwear inspired, you know, fashion. It's all like clothing there's only some way you can present it and unfortunately when you put stuff on i think there is there is something to be said for fashion runways being an opportunity for you to actually do fashion with a capital f to actually kind of try to have some themes have some overarching ideas maybe try you know and tell a narrative whatever it may be there is something to be said for that because i think just having a runway and then having just t-shirts and hoodies and jackets go up and down it it can kind of feel a little bit boring, especially if it's done the same way. And I felt like the last three seasons for Harry Preston felt a little bit tired, felt a little bit boring. So maybe this opportunity came at the right time because this might inspire the guy and give him a little bit of a kick up the arse to get HP back up where it is because of the you know back and forth that he's going to be doing between H&M and his own brand. Because effectively, he's going to be designing on three levels. He's going to be designing for and advising on H&M menswear overall. He's going to be working on his own capsule collection under H&M. And he's also going to be working on his own brand. So he's going to have to be splitting his brain across three things, plus whatever collaboration he has going on, the DJing stuff. Like He's got a lot on his plate. But I think all of those things on his plates will actually make him not bored and will hopefully inspire everything that he does so don't be surprised if you see uh incredibly an incredible leveling up leveling up from the guy going forward it can so let me just repeat this it says i was bored at the time hm approached me but what they were offering was more than a typical boring collaboration more than just about the product if they just asked me to slap my logo on a t-shirt and hoodie i probably would have told them no Imagine being that paid up and that papered up. You could say no to the H&M bag because it didn't inspire you. Man, that's goals, bro. So yeah, that was the whole article of what he said. So congratulations to Heron Preston. And for me, personally, um, having met the guy once many, many years ago, I have to say, he if anybody deserves it, it's him. He legitimately might be the most, the nicest guy I've come across in fashion with the exception of Virgil legit and i always say nicest because i think of it unfortunately that scene or that industry a lot of it is like people are kind of only nice to you when they know they can get something out of you or they know you're someone prominent as well it's like a little bit of a clout for clout what can you do for me i'll scratch your back i'll scratch your back you know you scratch my back i'll scratch your back type of thing right it's a bit annoying but it kind of is what it is but sometimes you meet people in this industry in fashion in streetwear and stuff who are just nice to you because they're just nice to you because they're just fucking nice people and heron and fucking virgil were two of those type of people that i met across my time in this little scene who were just genuinely nice because i had absolutely nothing to offer those dudes and they were just nice off the bat really cool to the point where i, I even had a quote-unquote meeting with heron sat down with him met some of his friends got taken around places and stuff the same thing happened with virgil obviously that was more of a work thing but these are things that you don't really get from people that work in fashion because unless you're somebody prominent unless you've got a big amount of followers unless you've got your own thing going on unless you want to suck their dick and be their intern they're not really going to give you the time of day so when these guys are nice to you it usually is a sign that they are nice people so sometimes nice people in fashion don't win 
right? They, unfortunately, they don't really win. So it's nice to see the nice guys actually get an opportunity. And also, with me being the flipping fan and the lover of streetwear that I am, it's just nice to see another guy from the school of streetwear graduating and getting these amazing positions. It just goes to show that there is really no limit. You could go from designing, you know, T-shirts, screen printing, you know, bootleg Givenchy shirts. You could go from flipping, cutting out, you know, cutting up flipping Gucci material into stars and putting on a side of Air Force Ones. You could go from making brick paperweight things. You could go from all those type of things that he made over the years. And then suddenly you're flipping designing on the level of H&M for the masses you go from making little niche art books of your friends like these little yearbook things that you made back in the day and then suddenly now many years after it you're doing you know um odemar flipping collaborations you're doing collaboration with args your collaborations with nike you're doing this with h&m there really is no limit when it comes to streetwear there really is a limit. The limit that you have is only your own imaginations. There's no need to go to fashion school. There's no need to fucking suck the dick of the fashion elites over there who don't even want you. Because the funny thing is, once you make it in streetwear and you're the super popular person, those fashion people that probably don't want you and look down on you will have to come and kiss the ring anyway. Because this is where the culture's at. This is where the flipping vibes are at. The, 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 you know, everything is at here. You know, the music, the fashion, you know, the, it's all over here. So it's cool to see Heron get the opportunity. And I can't wait to see what he does when he finally does put out the stuff. Because it's a pretty interesting collaboration overall. And I think one of the main things that kind of stood out to me that I thought was really on point was this bit here where it said what they tapped him to do, right? And I think it was somewhere here. There, there we go. So they have a clear, clear idea what they want from the guy. And I think this is part of the reason why I think this collaboration is going to work out. Because I think there's some clear, what do you call them in fucking marketing? Is it deliverables? Deliverables or something, right? Something along those kind of lines that they've kind of outlined. So he knows exactly what they want. He knows exactly what his remit is. And it's going to, you know, tell him, go crazy. And that's what I like because it says here, um, they are, uh, um, they say, Preston will have a wide range, wide ranging reign over H&M's um, menswear offerings, overseeing four pillars, design advisory, which will see him consult on the brand's mainline menswear, special collections designed specifically by Preston, talent curation intended to allow Preston to connect creatives in his network for additional collaboration with H&M and fashion innovation um, which will include projects such as circulatory um, initiatives in which consumers can submit their old clothing for use in future capsules collection designed by Preston that is clear black and white what they want from you then all you do, you meet those targets, you exceed those targets, Bob's your uncle, Granny's your aunt, the sales are up bang here's a here's a contract extension more money in the bank more g-wagons for you more fucking fancy trips with your wife around the world like everybody wins everybody fucking wins and the, and the great thing i love about it also is the fact that they realized that part of the reason why they can flip and tap into him is like he's always been known as like mr popular guy right the cool guy that has all the cool friends and they want to tap into that also they want to be a part of his network they want to bring parents network into h&m or they want to bring H&M down to Heron's network. They want to kind of bridge that gap because they never really saw themselves as cool. They want to be able to sell loads of stuff, but also be cool. Because nowadays people are doing that. These kids now are doing hauls on TikTok 
where they are proudly showing off the shit they bought at Boohoo, they bought at fucking Fashion Nova, they bought at Sheen. So fast fashion doesn't have the stigma that it once had when I was growing up, where if you wore that sort of stuff and you're into fashion, that like I am, or you're into streetwear, people look at you a bit, people look down on you. If you had on like, you know, H&M jeans, but you had like a Supreme t-shirt and shit, they're like, nah, man, you should be going and getting neighborhood jeans, number nine jeans, um, triple R, you know, trip, what's it, uh, RL jeans, um, what, Evisus, you should be getting those. But nowadays kids are, you know, willingly wearing head to toe H&M, but then, you know, 700 pound dunks and stuff. So I think they know that and they're trying to, bridge that gap and make sure that the kids that are queuing up at these shops are still going to go and buy the stuff that they're going to make because it's going to be cool so i can see some really cool stuff happening going with forward with that so big up heron for that let's quickly check his instagram and see what he's saying about it look at this fucking picture bro like honestly streetwear pays isn't it there was an era where like you know back in the day maybe that nick diamond guy was maybe the most outwardly rich looking streetwear guy that exists but now you've got all these guys like that sell fucking t-shirts and hoodies wearing fucking ap's <laughs> it's fucking cool isn't it it really is cool to be honest i'm not gonna lie i think this might be the post announcing it it's a pretty interesting pose there sat on a cube on a mirrored cube with this really interesting pose he kind of looks like a Kind of looks like a swastika, isn't it? A little bit. If you put his hands up, you look like a bit of a swastika, isn't it? If you if you put his hands up like that, but <laughs> pick up HP for that pose. Um, the caption says, "What's next? Let's call it brain over brand. It's bigger than product. A new concept for a better future. An entirely new ecosystem. Um, for me, for us, for the culture, for the world. More soon. Love to see that, man. So yeah, can't wait to see what he does." I think we're going to get a lot of cool shit from him coming out of flipping H&M. Loads of cool ways to kind of present your ideas on that kind of grand scale. I can't wait to see what he puts out there because, again, once you get those type of keys, right, to that kind of factory or to that type of processes and manufacturing, you have to take advantage of it. So I can't wait to see what he ends up doing with that going forward. It's going to be pretty interesting. I'm not going to lie. So big things are going for flipping hair and pressing out there. Let's see what I'm going for it. It's going to be cool. It's going to be inspiring. Everyone's going to be on it. And I think lessons definitely have been learned from Tremaine's, you know, diabolical experience at Supreme. And I think he's going to appreciate it and work with it well. But also, like I said, I think just because he's had a, you know, a job with Windows fields before, um, he's worked with Windows type of constraints. He's had that kind of oversight. I think he's going to be fine, to be completely honest. I think he's going to be more than fine going forward. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it when that does end up dropping. And then I think I've got another last thing to talk about here about Heron is considering this via Wallpaper Magazine, which is called Heron Preston Launches LED, a studio and convention-defying creative hub. It says as follows, I guess that's what we saw earlier, this this kind of repurposed um, cardboard thing that's been turned into some sort of desk and stuff. Let's see what the blurb says. Heron Preston might be known for his um, eponymous New York City-inspired label, but his creative enterprises go way beyond that. No stranger collaboration, Preston has launched LED Studio, which stands for Less Environmentally Destructive, a creative studio celebrating an in-now creative freedom that intentionally eschews conventions and restrictions in order to understand where contemporary culture is today and where it needs to go you know what i kind of clocked i think he's basically doing the same he's kind of doing like a tom Sachs, isn't it he's kind of following that kind of template 
a little bit, but more with the fashion tilt, it feels like. There's like creative, there's like design studios, there's these collaborations, right? Yeah, he's kind of attacking things on these kind of different planes, but it's kind of feeling very, 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 very Tom Saxish. I like it. I'm not, I like it because I always thought if I ever had my brand, it would kind of operate in that same type of way where it kind of is more of a design studio and then you may have different pieces that you design that may be clothing it may be furniture it may be art installations it may be experiences it may be spaces um it may be you know print whatever it may be but it's mostly a design studio you kind of think of it that way and then you approach every problem like a design problem and then you're able to kind of maybe approach it from more interesting angles and whatnot and cover more interesting ideas that's a great way to look at it instead of kind of being fashiony because the fashion angle you know you kind of have to have that brain you kind of have to have that alexander mcqueen you know jw anderson brain of actually thinking on that heady fashion level which not all of us have so i think the design thing is probably a little bit easier to kind of get in that way and kind of figure something out you know what i mean it continues creatively he has the power to change the world it's the greatest rebellion in existence president preston states i believe in meaningful disruption and creating with purpose the concept sustainability has become diluted i believe more honest term is less environment destructive i love how everyone does this right you you hate the term that exists, so you create another term. Then somebody else comes and says, I don't like less environment destructive, so I'm going to make another term. I'm going to call it destructive environment, DE. And then someone else comes, it's like, it's like a continue. Everyone wants their own little phrase, but again, it's a it's a worthy cause, so I'm with it. I love the logo also, to be fair. Um, it's very, very, it's giving, you know, Munich-based record label. I love that. It continues, part art and design studio, part sustainability practice, LED studio just uses a new ecosystem from designer that encompasses a clothing recycling and donation program called Excess, a social community called World, and a retail shop to sell ideas, a YouTube channel to host content, and even a scholarship program titled HP LED initiative now that's pretty sick man to be fair virgil will be proud of this man heron is walking the walk he's talking the talk and he's walking the walk it continues initiative to help diversity not diversity diversify sorry i listened to too much Tremaine. um initiative to help diversify representation in the fashion industry um preston is also introducing service center a creative agency working across ideation to execution for clients bringing his relatable disruptive viewpoint to a wider range of collaborators before Preston launched his fashion label in 2016 he opened the but cut you get it so yeah cool little thing going on 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 the heels of the fucking or just before the H&M collaboration got announced so he's got many many things in the fire at the same time big up HP <clears throat> big up HP how to see where it goes big up the chat big up my guy rodeo brito good to see you brother big up brandon big up coiler sarlux prodly prod prod by sorry in the chat all of you in there thank you for joining me i do appreciate every single one of you moving on and moving on deep so i was thinking today or the other day when i was kind of you know marinating on digesting and sort of meditating on everything that happened with Tremaine Emery at Supreme, having to step down because he felt like, you know, the company was, um, or the brand was systemically racist and they weren't allowing him to, you know, to, to put his ideas out there um, unfiltered and, you know, without constraints. I was thinking to myself, should there be such a thing 
as DJ affirmative action? Should there be such a thing as DJ affirmative action? Where you specifically have these clubs in London or in the UK or in the world, right? That little bit of a clothes shop that don't really welcome people in unless you have a big record or you're a big DJ and stuff, whatever. It's pretty difficult, right? I always say it before. I think DJing is maybe one of the hardest occupations to make it in because there's no one clear path. And for whatever reason, DJs are also very, um, it's a very, cl it's a kind of a very closed, clicky kind of industry. Once you're in, I'm sure everybody opens up, but on the outside, they don't really bring people in. There's not a lot of DJs kind of, you know, mentoring up and coming DJs and bringing them in. Um, unless you're obviously signed to a record label. There's not a lot of agencies taking chances on people that are unknown. It's all a lot of like, you have to kind of just build your own clout, build your own kind of name, build your own rep, and then hope that someone recognizes you or then go and pitch people to represent you or to put you on and stuff it's a lot of kind of like you having to do the, a lot of the grunt work to kind of get yourself out there it doesn't exist the opportunity to kind of maybe you know maybe in the past where you could go and do dj residencies and sort of like learn in real time in a club how to play in front of a certain audience or just play in front of any audience then maybe those chances opportunity gives you opportunity to play in front of certain people those people sign you now nah. There is none of that. DJ, DJ residencies, for the most part, don't really exist. Um, most nightclubs have, you know, external promoters coming in and putting on their events, or they host some of the biggest DJs to come and play, and then they maybe have some middle DJs to come and support them. But there is no, you know, fucking residency programs that allow people that are unknown from bedrooms to go from bedrooms to clubs. So, with that being said, it's even harder for people who come from minority communities like i do <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna be a tremaine from for minorities like myself right for minorities like myself for immigrants like myself for refugees like myself for displaced disadvantaged <laughs> poverty stricken people like myself it's even harder to get in right because you know I come from a certain place. I've grown up a certain way. That idea of like sucking people off and breading them to get opportunities, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to email <clears throat> anybody to ask for DJ sets or to ask for gigs. It's just not something that I'm ever going to do. I'm never going to try and befriend a club owner to be his friend so that they can give, like it's never going to happen. I'm never going to be that guy. And that's probably going to be one of the stumbling blocks I'm always going to face. But I would hope there's opportunity that I have the chance to kind of just like, you know, just show how good I am. And then people recognize that and it goes from there. But doing what other people do that's, that actually works, where you go and meet people and you connect and you network and you do the whole shaking hand things and air, yeah, you pretend that you're happy to see them. Nah, I can't, I can't do that. So I can't do that. But there is a need for more representation out there in the DJ world. Let's be honest, right? There's a lot of, you know, the same old, same old out there. You don't see a lot of me behind the DJ booth playing some of these sort of tunes that you hear from these other people playing, right? I'm not going to get there and play Afro beats, right? I'm going to be playing techno and stuff, so don't worry. But I wonder if a way to get in is to do DJ affirmative action. And I wonder if what I should do is maybe do a Tremaine. 
Maybe do a Tremaine would fold, <laughs> right? My favourite club in the world or my favourite club in the UK. A club that I've been to since the very first time it opened, right? I went to the first flipping party at this place. I think 2018, one of the first raves in there. I raved about it. I spoke about it in the pod. I flipping preached about it to everybody that I fucking met. Anybody that asked me, hey, what club to go to? I say, fold, 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 fold. I fucking love that place. I've been to that place too much to the point where i'm fucking bored of going there now i don't want to go there anymore because i go there too often i want to kind of adventure out to new places but i'd also like to play there one day it's a fucking fantastic club it's got a great crowd but then i spoke to myself you know what instead of doing the grunt work and working hard behind the scenes and going to meet all these new people during the unfolds and actually trying to be a part of the community not just going in there and going home nah i don't want to do all that hard work I don't want to break my back. I don't want to make myself feel uncomfortable. So I'm just going to wave the race flag. I'm going to play the race card. And I'm going to say, maybe we should start introducing DJ affirmative action so people like myself can play at these techno clubs in London that don't have enough black and minority DJs, especially guys. Because there's a lot of people out there doing these, you know, representation for others but there's not a lot of representation for minority guys in the techno scene you don't see it don't lie you don't see it so maybe i'm gonna start waving the race flag and saying i'm black and i'm proud right let me in let me in because i just checked the fold website actually right <laughs> and their resident djs are hella white <laughs> so i wonder I wonder if I kicked up a fuss about this, right? If I actually, if this actually did annoy me and I started to do the whole race thing, oh, I'm black and I deserve stuff. Give me stuff, right? I wonder <laughs> if it would actually work. If they'd be like, if they'd make some big statement, <laughs> right? And they'd be like, yeah, we are sorry for the effects that we've had on the black community. We're going to do better to kind of make this right. In an effort to make it right, we're going to give this Agostino guy that we don't know, we've never heard play, <laughs> right? We, like, we're going to give him the reins to have a six-month residency at our club. <laughs> I wonder if I could do it. Because essentially, Tremaine got that job at Supreme. Like, think about this now. Think about this, right? Tremaine got that job at Supreme partly because he's black. Let's, not, let's call a spade a spade. He partly got that job because he's black. Obviously, he's got his own brand. Then until the sick, he's obviously a super popular guy, well-connected. He's known all the people behind the scenes from way back. I know. His history is deep. But part of the reason why he got that job, because he ticked a box, right? Black, got the dreads, has that kind of boho, homeless look going on, um, wears all the cool brands, right? He's friends with certain people, Blah, 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 blah. Virgil's mate. Blah, blah, blah. Right? That's why part of the reason why he got that job. So I wonder if I just start waving the fucking black flag and start saying, I'm black and I'm proud. Give me things. I need things. I'm hungry. Please fold DJ bookings. <laughs> because everybody you got on here who's a resident DJ at one of the most... And again, this is a funny point to make. Fold is one of the most popular clubs in London. Maybe one of the most popular clubs in the UK now. In that short space of time. Because for whatever reason, before them, no one ever decided to, to think, hey, why don't I take the good parts of all these other clubs around Europe and try and replicate them in Fold? Because earlier on when Fold started, they were very 
Bergine ish they were trying too hard to be Bergine then they found their way but essentially what they did was take all the good parts all the good experiences they've had from all these other clubs they've gone to especially in Europe and try to replicate it in a London club no one's ever tried that we just do things our way and that's it but no one tried to do a club in London where you put stickers on the phone no pictures no one tried to do a club in London where you maybe have forward-thinking bookings. You maybe take a chance on promoters. You might have an unfold night where it's like from 12 to 12 where you have like friends and family playing. No li- no, no lineups being announced. Um, where you have studios like, inside the same building and stuff. Like where you have like all night, you know, 18-hour flipping raves happening because it's in a part of London where there's not a lot of restrictions and the licensing laws are a bit more lax in other parts of London. No one tried to do that. So they did it and they smashed it. And everyone fucking loves it. But it's also the most popular club in London. It has all types of people go there. You look at you look at the dance floor and it's like it's like fucking the United Colors of Benetton. But for some reason, the resident DJs, right? The resident DJs at this club are all very Caucasian looking. I'm sure some of these people are gonna say, I'm not white, I'm from Israel, I'm not white, I'm from Georgia, I'm not right, I'm Romanian. I know, right? But they're all, you know. They're not my they're not my skin tone, right? That's kind of funny. I just find that funny, just in terms of an observation. Now, should I take that a, le- a level further and start campaigning? <laughs> should I walk up to the fucking fold on a Friday with my fucking new rock boots and my short shorts, right? And my little jock strap on with a sign that says <laughs> Black D- what's that? No, what's it? Uh Black DJ bookings needed or something. Maybe that's what I should do going forward. Maybe the way to go forward actually is affirmative action. But to be real, there has to be a level of shame about that sort of stuff, innit? Because I know I would. I would feel a little bit of shame. But I think in life, what I've realised over the years, part of being successful is not having any shame. It's kind of like a sociopath thing. If you have the ability to not be embarrassed and not feel shame you will get so far in life. Because think of this. To actually be a part of that DJ, resident DJ roster at Fold, what do you actually have to do? If you really want to be a part of it and not wave the race flag, what would you have to do there? Just be a part of the community. What does being a part of the community entail? Going to loads of events, you know, meeting people that, that play there, meeting people that go there, adding them on Instagram, swapping numbers, dancing with them hanging out with them maybe going to their own events maybe booking them at your events maybe introducing yourself to the owners whatever it may be all those things is what would actually get you into that crew but all of that stuff requires you to put your ego pride shape whatever all that thing in your in you you have to put it to one side because you're going to have some odd experiences here and there. Not all your interactions are going to go well. Some interactions, some people just might not like you. Some of them, the vibe might be off. Some of them, you might catch them at a wrong time. Some of them, you might do something wrong. Whatever. They're going to be weird interactions. So you're going to have to just to kind of be able to just suck them all up and go again. So that's actually the real trick of it. The real trick of this stuff, especially in this kind of creative space where there is no like, you know, one way to go from top to bottom. You just have to have no shame, no sense of embarrassment. And you really, really have to want it because when you really want it, really, you're going to make all those 
adjustments because it's not big of it. They're not that big of a deal. Think about it. It's not that big of a deal. You have to introduce yourself. You have to say hi. You have to shake some hands, kiss some babies and shit. It's not that big of a deal. But at this stage of my life, I'm just not willing to do that. I'm not willing to like pretend I'm happy to see you when I'm not. Oh, that's what I don't actually care. Try and like make small talk and shit. It already went bad for me the other day when I went to Adonis. I tried to fucking do the whole ha ha he he. It didn't work, right? <laughs> it, I landed like a fucking lead balloon out there. It fucking feels awful to be in a place where, you know, you're surrounded by people that are just raving and having a good time, but then they're also kind of like letting you know, nah, we're not feeling you. You're, you're kind of lame. You're not as cool enough as, as we are. And you're like, hold on. We're just, this is just a party. Why do you have, why do you feel a level of superiority to me when we're just both stomping around the same fucking concrete? It's kind of a weird, it's kind of puzzling, but it kind of is what it is. So that's the actual key of it. The actual key to actual making it in any creative space is just to put aside whatever pride, whatever ego you have, whatever entitlement, and actually integrate yourself in that community. Actually make an effort to make some friends. Or if not, maybe create your own little crew of things. But that whole affirmative action thing and wanting to get in with your race, to get through the door, I think is the most grossest, um, lamest, corniest, um, low vibrations thing you could ever do. Because I do understand the idea around just get your foot in the door, but I would be so ashamed. I'd be so embarrassed. And, you know, the opposite of proud if I got in that way, it, it wouldn't sit right. You know, if you got, if that's the way you got in, if you got in because you guilt tripped, right. Or you emotionally, or in this case, racially blackmailed <laughs> the owners, right. <laughs> into giving you a spot. It wouldn't sit right. It wouldn't sit right. It rich wouldn't. You'd be like, you didn't earn this. You just did, did it because they felt sorry for you because you happen to be born the color that you are. You didn't choose to be born this race. Here you are now taking advantage of the plight of people that you don't even know. You've not experienced anything that they experienced and now you're taking their trauma and you're using it as a fucking Trojan horse to get fucking DJ bookings. Do you know how lame that is to get a job working at a streetwear company? Do you know how lame that is? That's why I thought when I was thinking about the Tremaine Emery thing. Imagine you use your race to get the job and then you use the race to kind of, you know, what's that word called? To kind of moral grandstand on the people that gave you the job and then they tell you to fuck off. Imagine how embarrassing that is. They give you the job because of your race. They kind of indulge you because of it. Instead of using it as opportunity to kind of, you know, because that's why I think the train thing is really sad because he kind of just looked out for himself. He went in there because of his race, because he's cool. But if you go in there and you think it's too white, then go and hire new people to come in and make it a little bit more, you know, make it a little bit more wagwan, whatever you want to make it. Yeah, you know I mean, do your thing. But instead, he looked, he was looking out for his own self. He wanted to get his own ideas out there and get all the credit. And in the process, you know, creative differences and the opportunity to try and bring in new people completely went. So for me, as tempting as it is to wave the affirmative action flag and to campaign and protest outside a fold and say, I deserve a set. I deserve a book in here because I'm black. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I'm not going to start campaigning. I'm not going to say fold. So I'm not going to say hashtag fold. So white on, <laughs> on Instagram or anything, 
All right, I'm, I'm just gonna. It's just an observation. The resident DJs are kind of Caucasian. It is what it is. But if you want to get into this crew, it's not difficult. You know, like you just you just make an effort. You put out things, you try and become friends with people and they'll probably let you in. But the whole waving of the affirmative action flag, I'm black, I'm black, give me job, I'm black, I'm black, give me job, give me job. And then you get in there and you're fucking shit anyway. What's the fucking point? Then you, that's, that's the thing people don't talk about. You get in there because you're black, which is cool. But then if you're shit, you're ruining it for everybody else that's black behind you. That's the fucked up thing. Everybody black, brown and fucking Asian, you fucking ruin it for all them behind you. So it's actually... A lot of responsibility when you take a job under the flag of I'm the BLM creative officer of this company. It actually takes, that's actually way more pressure than you need. You should actually come in there with only the pressure of your own talent, the pressure of how you do things. And then if you fail, cool. You didn't like the, you know, if I'm known for fucking florals and I go in there and I try and slap all my fucking floral all over prints everywhere, what they do, and then they don't like it, cool. I, I can just say, they're not feeling my florals. But I can't go in there, you know, with a whole black and I'm proud thing. And I try and do a top boy t-shirt and shit. It doesn't land. <laughs> and I've got nothing else. You know what I mean? Nah, man. I can't I can't do that, man. I can't do that to myself. I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't sleep well at night. As tempting as it is, because I'm sure it would work. I'm sure it would. But I can't do that forward thing. I love I love the club too much to like do that to them. To be fair, they provided me with so many good nights, um, so many fucking memorable DJ sets. I think of DVS one I saw there. I think of fucking um, Richie Horton I saw there. I think of D Dan I saw there. I think of you know Freddie K. All these amazing people I've seen play at fucking fold. They gave me so many great nights. I can't ever you know then now to turn around and try and do affirmative action on them. And get them cancelled because they won't book me for a fucking set. That would be so heinous, man. Um, but yeah, <laughs> just imagine. Oh, Nugget Love, it'd be so funny. Oh my god, imagine Fold So White. And that'd be so funny, man. Imagine Fold So White. I just rock up there, like, you know. <laughs> With my headphones in my JD bag. Oh, right on, right on brand. But anyway. What can I do, man? Let's move on, man. I don't want to. I don't want to cause anyone any problems. You know what I mean? No problems be causing over here. So, moving on from that, um, quickly want to talk about this. Considering we want to talk about club stuff, so it's now been confirmed from a few people. Again, it's not. It's, yeah, it's not confirmed. Confirmed, but by people that went, it's kind of confirmed that Berghain has now raised their prices to thirty euros as an entry. I think before it may have been twenty five if I'm not mistaken. And before that, it may have been 22 euros. So now it's 25 euros entry. And I think the five pound re-entry, sorry, the five euro re-entry still stands, right? Which is annoying. Don't get me wrong. But it also illustrates how spoiled Berliners are in general. Like they are spoiled because I'm thinking of myself, right? How often London clubs charge 30 pound and up for tickets and it's all the time if you buy them in advance most clubs charge you around you know anywhere between 20 and 30 but for the most part i'd say 30 pound is probably the you know the average you're going to pay for most places especially when you include the first drink that you get or like the cloakroom right you're instantly going to be 30 pounds anyway but in berlin they've had things so good over the years 
and a big club like Burkhan has still tried to like keep their prices somewhat fair that now that they've taken it up from 25 euros to 30 people are freaking out literally freaking out and I can understand why because I think the first times I used to go to Bergheim, the first few times, um, I remember it was around 22. And I remember when I first went, I didn't know what the price was. So I just went in and handed a guy some money. And I remember getting change back. I think it was like a 50. I was like, oh shit, I got change, right? And then when I got the change back, I was like, oh, that's funny, isn't it? Like a club this big, has got the ability to kind of charge his price. It's fucking amazing. But then when I usually go, whatever money I give to the person at the ticket hall and I get changed, I just leave that as a tip. And I've got obviously other bits of coins with me to give to people for the cloakroom. But it was always the idea whenever I went there, whatever the price was, if it was 22, I gave them 30, they could keep the tip. That was always what I did. So I kind of always saw it as like that price that they were charging at that time was super good. And it was actually something that I was more than happy to pay for. And actually, I'd give them a tip on top. So the 30 euro price now is no real different to what I was already giving them with the, with the tip included. Now, obviously, it's going to be another tip on top. But I still think in terms of bang for buck, considering the club is open Friday all night, Saturday all the way to fucking Monday morning, and they have consistently booked the biggest, the biggest, 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 biggest DJs in the world and some great upcoming people for 30 euros. It's a pretty good deal. And people don't tell you this, but the drink prices in, Ber in Bergheim are also pretty decent. You can get cocktails in there, sometimes for under 10 euros. They have a cool little ice cream bar. You can buy sandwiches. There's a nice little um, Spatkoff little guy that sells like beers just outside the club if you don't want to pay for drinks in there because allow re-entry. Again, this is something that does happen in, in London. London clubs, unless you go to Fold and they've got an 18-hour thing or you go to other clubs, there's no such thing as re-entry. Once you're in, you're in. That's it. But Bergen allows you the opportunity to actually go out and ha have a drink, go have some food, sleep, have a wank, Whatever you want to do, you can go do it and come back again. So I think that ability to do that for 30 euros or, you know, 35 if you include the re-entry fee is more than decent. It really is. But I think for whatever reason, Berliners have this idea that that price was going to stay the same. But it makes a lot of sense because I remember going out there maybe third or fourth time ever. And then I got around like some people that actually live there, quote unquote, right? Or maybe that are from there and stuff. And it's interesting to be around actual Berliners who club because they're kind of tight. They don't like spending money on booze. They don't like spending money on drugs. They don't like spending money to go into clubs. They really operate on a tight budget. They want to have the most amount of fun spending the least amount of money, which to me is odd because when I go out, I kind of go out knowing I'm going to spend the money, so I'll save some money before I go out. But I also know that Berlin compared to London is incredibly cheap so I'm happy to buy all my drinks in the club because I'm not having to pay a tenner for a beer in London honestly most I went to fucking what's it called um 60 Doc Road the other day Adonis and I swear to god they had pints they were, they were serving you like Stellas and shit in a tin the same things that you buy in Sainsbury's for like you know 10 pounds and shit mixers the same sort of price so you can't really like go too crazy now you're gonna spend like 500 pounds on drinks it's not even worth it 
So for the most part, when I'm going there to Burger and you're spending five euros on a beer or you're spending three euros on a cocktail, I'm okay to not pre-drink. I'm okay to not pre-game. I'm just going to go in there and drink. But Ber Berliners don't do that. They would rather spend, you know, one euro buying a drink from the local, you know, from the local shops and shit, the little spat spatties or spatkoofs, however you fucking pronounce them, which is a really interesting approach to raving. They've got the they've got the best infrastructure there, right in Berlin, because they have a local government there that actually supports clubs. They've got local initiatives and stuff um, that basically gives the clubs abilities to basically improve their sound installation. And they have these, you know, um, things that they sit down with local neighbors and stuff to make sure that they're on the same page. Like, there's a really good approach to how they kind of respect and look at clubs they kind of look at it as a integral part of their infrastructure an integral part of their money making ability and shit like they respect club culture over there so for the most part people take clubbing very seriously and it starts at the door they have door pickers that take their job seriously like they're going you know i, I spoke about it already in the podcast but some clubs even hire very popular tiktok techno girls to stand at the door at the clubs and stuff and whatever it may be to bring a crowd down to be well known because they're very stern and they get it whatever it's a whole culture around door picking that's not even security it's actually a thing that they do a door picker they have a very particular way that they book the flipping djs the sound you know they have you know particular sound engineers that kind of spec up the flipping speakers inside the club they have lighting people they take it very seriously it's a very serious thing so you would imagine these people that take it seriously would also be open to having some fun, spending some money, chilling out, having a good time. Nah, for them, spending 30 euros in a club is too much, especially for a club like Burghauser, which is insane. But what this might do, what this might do, it might open up Berlin, Berlin to other places. It might open up Berlin for more people. No, it might open up the club space overall. Because I do think, especially for people like myself who are foreigners, there are there is a too much emphasis put on Berghain. Because Berlin, I think, is still one of the best clubbing cities in the world because of the amount of clubs you can go to. But I think some of them get overlooked because Berghain gets all the attention. So maybe a good thing about this whole price hike might be that some people might think, you know what, it's too much money for me. So I'd rather go and check out other places now. So maybe places like RSO... Places like Oxy, um, places like Aden, Watergate, all these other clubs that are amazing in Berlin might start getting a lot more attention and a lot more foot traffic because punters want a lot more bang for their buck. That might be a, bit, a thing going forward. And then that also might have a, a good effect on the Berghain dance floor because then it might mean there'll be less, you know, um, tourists coming in and it might kind of level out where it's like a, a bit more half and half. Because I, even me, I'm a tourist when I go there. But there definitely is a difference when you go to Berghain on an off night. And it's like 50-50. Locals and fucking tourists. It's a nicer vibe. When it's all tourists or when it's all locals, like, you know, like a majority, the vibe is a bit off. But when it's, there is some sort of parity, some sort of leveling, it's a bit better. So maybe with that price hike, people will start exploring other places and it will kind of level out the playing field and make the vibe a little bit better out there in Bergheim because people are complaining now about their drinks getting spiked and stuff and they're passing out, which to me is fucking wild. I still think people, for the most part, everyone's crying, complaining online. I think a lot of you guys and girls need to grow up 
and you know take responsibility for yourself because i think a lot of people for some reason they read all these articles and they see all these videos about fucking Berg, Berg, and they go there and they legitimately treat it like that space is going to take care of you yes it's a good space yes they do a good job at door picking yes it's very strict to get in so by default people are going to be well behaved and they're going to act right it's going to create a better atmosphere in there and all that blah 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 but it's still a fucking nightclub it's still a nightclub at night with sketchy people. You have to look after yourself. You can't just be, you know, leaving your drink on the side, going wandering, talking there, going there, doing a bump over there, coming back over there and expecting everything to be cool. You have to take responsibility for yourself and look after yourself. You can't put that responsibility on a club and then get annoyed when the bouncers don't react to you fainting or falling over and don't want to help you or get annoyed that you're fainting and falling over all over the place because you're essentially ruining the mood and you are you know not looking after yourself which is then going to put the club in a position because if you get injured in there it's going to fall back on them so it's, there is a lot of like lack of res personal responsibility going on there there's a lot of like Bergheim take me look after me Bergheim sort of attitude going on which is a little bit pathetic from people that are way too old to act like that in my personal opinion so maybe with the price hike a lot of the babies a lot of the people complaining a lot of the nitpickers a lot of the chin strokers will fuck off and then it'll be leveled out to all the cool people who know how to act, who know how to behave, who know not to get too drunk in the queue, who know not to get too high, who can take the experience as it is, who can go in there and just drink fucking orange juice and have a good time. And it's not always fucking Project X every day. Like those people you need in there because they actually add to the atmosphere. You could, especially when you, the, when you go to Panorama Bar, the, the room upstairs, which is all the house stuff. Usually there's a good mix of people in there who are stone cold sober, just dancing and having a good time. And it adds to the ambiance. Not everybody has to be fucking twitching and super high for it to be good. Sometimes it can be chill. But when everybody's all like, this is Project X, this is going to be the best night of my life. And tonight's going to be a good time. That's when everybody gets shit because you're all too hype. You're too, you're too turned up. And there's no way this club's going to match your level of turn up unless you fucking force it. And people do force it. And then some guy comes along with a fucking ponytail and does that on your drink. And then you wake up and you're in fucking Dusseldorf. You have to relax. You have to relax. Everybody has to relax. But hey, what do I know? Um, and then I was thinking about it, right? I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. And these motherfuckers don't know what it's like to rave in London. Because look at this. I found this screenshot. Look at this screenshot I found of a night that I went out in fold. I went out to fucking fold, right? One time. And look at what I paid to go to fold. 49.50, bro. Man found a screenshot, right? From my fucking Twitter where I paid 49.50 to go to fold. Not Bergheim. Not fucking the school, not even DC 10, right? None of these illustrious places around the world. It's some of the most expensive cities in the world. No, just regular old fold in Canning Town, 750 capacity or 500 capacity, whatever it may be called, to see who. Arm and tricks play all night long. And I played 45 pound plus 450 fucking booking fee. And it was only on until what? nine maybe like 11 to 6 a.m one night all the way to the morning right not none of it going on for two days and shit none of that stuff and i paid 45 50 49.50 plus my uber right plus my snacks imagine 
So all you guys out there complaining about 50 euro, 30 euro price hike at Berkheim when you're going to be there from like Saturday night to Monday morning, please shut the fuck up because you don't know how good you have it. You get rejected from Berghain. Oh no, they rejected me. I can't get in. I don't think I'm cool enough. Boo-hoo. There's a million clubs within a five-mile radius you can go to that are 10 times better than Fold. A million. Maybe thousands. Maybe hundreds. But still, within a five-mile radius of that fucking club, you could go to any club in there that's better than fucking Fold. I don't think... This is what I was going to say before we end it. I don't think we have a single club in London... That's as interesting, again, maybe not music-wise, but that's as interesting of a space as like Sisyphos. And Sisyphos in Berlin, for the most part, people that, are, that like techno and whatnot and house, it's like a little bit, you know, people look at it like it's a, bit, it's a little bit lame because the people that go there, the music policy is a little bit, you know, tech house and deep house and minimal and people don't really like that sort of shit. It's not the most trendy type of music. But Sisyphos is still one of the most amazing clubs to go into because it's like a labyrinth. There's all these little rooms everywhere, all these little nooks and crannies and shit, right? There's all these little spaces you can go into. This room you can't go into unless somebody walks out. This one's full of mirrors. This one's that. There's all these little cool rooms and shit. It's really cool. It's kind of like this little hippie commune circus type of thing. There's not one club in London that's as good as that place. And that is the worst place they've got. Or even Matrix Bar. I don't even think Fabric is better than Matrix Bar. I'm going to say that as a club, looking-wise, I don't think Fabric looks better than Matrix. And Matrix is like the bottom of the bottom. So all these motherfuckers crying and complaining in Berlin, you don't know how good you guys have it. You don't know how good you have it, man. Really don't know. I swear on my life you don't know. Because if only you knew, you would not be crying like this. I swear to God you wouldn't be crying like this. You'd just be like, you know what? I understand, I see, and you'd go from there. But hey, you know, what do I know? What do I know? Um, let's move on. Let's move on. So I want to talk about this quickly. Um, where is it? There we go. No, no. Oh, it's all about this. Yeah. So as most of you guys know, United played Arsenal over the weekend. Um, it was a... Decent performance from us, I think, away from home. I don't think we actually played that badly. But unfortunately, we still lost 3-1. And the, the performance has kind of been looked over now because of all the drama around the club. But I think we played quite decently. And I think one of the bright sparks to come out of that game was definitely Rasmus Hoyland um, playing for United. He came on you know, as a sub up front. And we saw what he could offer because we it's been a long time since we've had a striker up front who can hold the ball up, who can bring players in, who can run the channels, who can, you know, battle with with defenders and shit. Like, he gave Gabriel a good game when he came on. He also looks a lot bigger when he was standing next to Gabriel because Gabriel, the, uh, the Arsenal defender, is like 6'3", and Rasmus Hoyland was like same height as the guy, so you could tell he's an absolute unit. He's fast, he's strong, he's left-footed. Um, he's got a good. He's got a good first touch. He can dribble. He can clearly shoot. Even though he had the ability to kind of, you know, yeah, he's got he's got the ingredients to be an absolutely an absolute beast. He's only like twenty years old, so that was encouraging signs. But unfortunately, we still lost three one. So all the backlash from it has mostly stemmed from the conversation around Eric Ten Hag and Jadon Sancho. The manager Eric Ten Hag had some very interesting words to say about Jadon Sancho after the game. One of the journalists basically asked Ten Hag, "Hey." 
why didn't Jaden Sancho play or something along those kind of lines. And Ericsson Hogg is usually kind of vague when it comes to talking about players who haven't been selected about the team and maybe skips over the question and shit. But he decided, he decided to say, um, we didn't pick him because he wasn't training well, essentially. Which nowadays, you can't really say to professional footballers because if you say a professional footballer isn't training well, you're essentially calling into... Um, question their entire professionalism as a footballer that's what you're basically calling into question and if a player doesn't feel like that's a good or accurate representation of themselves they're going to defend themselves now we didn't expect Jaden Sancho to defend himself so quickly he then responded instantly to what um, Eric Ten Hag said in the press conference by releasing a statement on Twitter and Instagram I'm assuming other places and he said the following please don't believe everything you read I will not allow people saying things that is completely untrue. I have conducted myself in training very well this week. I believe that there are other, other reasons for this matter that I won't go into. I've been a scapegoat for a long time, which isn't fair. All I wanted to do was play football with a smile on my face and contribute to my team. I respect all decisions that are made by the coaching staff. I play with fantastic players and I'm grateful to do so, which I know every week is a challenge. I will continue to fight for this badge no matter what. Now, for whatever reason in the UK or in football in general, it's not really a thing for players to speak up for themselves, which is kind of odd because in America, you guys have a very open dialogue thing right footballers um american footballers bas basketballers baseballers whatever all these guys have the opportunity to speak up for themselves they do it on their own platforms they do it on podcasts whatever they speak their mind at press conferences they speak their mind but in football it's not a thing in football everyone kind of is very proper they're very well-mannered. They kind of have these cliches they kind of trot out. They're like robots. They don't really have a personality when they're speaking to the media or speaking for themselves. There's nothing really there. So when a player like Jadon Sancho comes out and says, hey, I'm cap on whatever the manager said. Like, I've been training well. I'm fine. Don't believe what you read. Essentially calling the manager a liar. It's a big deal in the UK. It's a fucking big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal if you think about it. Because essentially, this just means these are two people disagreeing on this situation. Because on Eric Ten Hag's side of things, he's saying, I'm the manager and I don't think you're training well. This is why you're not playing. In Jaden Sancho's side of things, he's like, no, I am training well. You're not picking me for other reasons. And for me, the other reasons is the thing that really stuck out to me in this, in this um, statement. I was like, what could he be think talking about? Other reasons. At first, I thought, oh, it's just a standard player thing where you don't want to take accountability or responsibility for your actions and what the consequences are. You always kind of want to blame somebody else. You've got an ego, blah, blah, blah. The, the easy conclusions to come to. But then I sat with it a bit more and I thought to myself, I wonder if this has to do with the favoritism and the weird culture around our club overall since the Glazers have been charged. The Glazers have fucking ruined our club, not because of their lack of investment, their haphazard managerial hires and transfer policies and weird sale and non-development of the team. All that stuff has fucking been awful. But it's more so for me, the thing that's been really criminal about the Glazer ownership over the last nearly two decades has been the way they've kind of, you know, uh, infested the club with this very unprofessional, disorganized, haphazard 
professional setting thing where people just feel it's like it's okay to like speak up like this, have these open spats in public with their manager and just take the piss out of the club. That's basically what's happened at our club. It's not very serious. People don't feel like there's consequences for their actions. They can say what they want, do what they want. They'll get a new contract. They'll play shit. They'll get a new deal. There's no real like consequences for like bad performances, for, um, you know, doing stuff out of line bringing the club into disrepute it doesn't really exist so i think the players are taking the piss and that attitude has kind of permeated through the entire t of our club and this is why we get these situations again and again we had it already with ronaldo we had it before that um who else with rashford had disciplinary issue um we had M Maguire recently had a disciplinary issue when Maguire went to Greece and had got into a fight and shit all these things have been happening and I feel basically it's because of the Glazers they've created this atmosphere of toxicity and unprofessionalism don't get me wrong Jadon Sanchez always also in his you know he has, he has a lot of fault to put in this as well because fundamentally if Jadon Sancho is playing well and performing to the levels that he needs to perform at in training for the manager to pick him this is not an issue but I also think in general the managers and the players are kind of having to fight for themselves because we're not all pulling in the same direction. Anyway, other reasons. The other reason I was thinking about as well that came up was like, I wonder if Jaden Sancho is talking about the favoritism. And the favoritism that exists at our club does exist. People have said it doesn't, but it does. And that favoritism is the favoritism against this guy, Anthony. Anthony, for the most part, has been Ericsson Hogg's preferred winger. He's a guy he spent a lot of money on to bring him from Ajax, the team he was managing. So obviously he's going to trust him more. But he's had a lot of stinkers. He hasn't played very well. He hasn't been consistent for us. Yes, he has a good attitude. Yes, he tracks back. Yes, he's a trier. Yes, he's brave. Blah, blah, blah. But he still has stinkers. And he hasn't really justified his price tag. So if you're Jaden Sancho and you're seeing him play in front of you week in week out you're not getting any opportunity to impress or to break into the team and he consistently keeps playing doesn't get sub doesn't get really you know get subbed off of course but doesn't really come off from the bench always starts games it's gonna really annoy you to the point where you're gonna think why should i bother in training if this guy's always guaranteed a place in the spot then he said other reasons about this guy and i thought you know what the other reasons might have to do with the allegations around this guy's name. And if you've been paying attention on the social media, it's been fucking crazy. So not only do we have to deal with the fucking stuff with Mason Greenwood, now we have another issue with Anthony. It's now being alleged that Anthony may have physically abused his ex-wife, ex-girlfriend. I'm not sure what the status was before. And it's getting really dark because there's pictures that she's uploaded online of a broken finger, there's pictures that she's uploading online of bruising. There's been accounts I've read of reports that she had one of her breast implants deflate because of part of the abuse. There's been reports said that's not been confirmed that she may have miscarried because of the abuse that she suffered from Anthony, allegedly. And it's got so deep that Anthony's national team, Brazil, he's meant to be playing for, had decided to drop him because of the ongoing police investigation. Yes, you heard that right. The police are investigating Anthony. The police are investigating because of why, you ask? Because guess what? The physical abuse took place in the UK. It also took place while he was playing for us. And to make it worse, to make it worse, one of the United doctors, one of the doctors employed at Manchester United to help the players was involved 
in helping the woman at the time to tend her medical aid. So they're now alleging that the club had knowledge of this incident from when it happened a couple of years ago and they effectively covered it up. And if I'm not mistaken, what I've read so far, that doctor who lended, you know, aid to um, Anthony's ex-wife or girlfriend has now left the club. And some people are alleging it's because of what went down. They were so pissed off that there was no internal investigation. They were so annoyed at what went down that they resigned. So United have actively took part in covering up a player's abuse of a woman. Abuse that led to a supposed broken finger, bruising, a busted um, breast implant and allegedly a miscarriage. My club is in the mud. My club is in the mud. And what's funny about this is that Man United didn't want to make a comment. They were avoiding it. They were trying to ignore it. Didn't want to say nothing. But because it's International Week, all the players are off with their international teams, they couldn't ignore it because there's nothing else to talk about. There's only international football. It hasn't started yet. So they have to talk about it. So United have finally addressed it. And they addressed it in the most united way possible. They released an official statement on the Man United site about Anthony and the ongoing investigations. And they used so many words and said nothing. I fucking love it. Right? This is the this is the full statement. What you're seeing there on the screen. These two bits of what you know, these two paragraphs essentially. And they say nothing. The statement. Manchester United acknowledges the allegations made against Anthony and notes the police are conducting inquiries. Pending further information, the club will be making no further comments. As a club, we're taking this matter seriously with consideration of the impact of these allegations subsequent reporting will have on survivors of abuse. So essentially, they've said nothing. Even though there is probably as much information out there about Anthony as there was about Greenwood. But he hasn't been suspended by the club. He's been suspended by his national team, but not by the club. Which to me tells me one thing, glaring one thing. I think my team... I think my team kind of regrets ousting or listening or caving into the public pressure around Mason Greenwood, who's now at Getafe on loan. And again, they haven't sacked Mason Greenwood. They've sent him on loan to Getafe. And most likely, if he smashes it over there like he probably will, they'll bring him back to the club, especially under the new ownership. But I feel like the Glazers and the United United hierarchy regretted caving into the fan pressure on Mason Greenwood. So they're going to take a stance of, it's a police investigation, but we're not going to say anything. And they're going to kind of, you know, hold their hands up in the air and pretend it's not happening. That's what I think is going to happen. That's the scary part. That's the, that's the scary place we're in as a club. That we're essentially, um, you know, we won't say enabling, but we're, probably, we're standing behind abusers. <laughs> that's how bad we are. Because they cost a lot of money and because we don't have that many players on the bench that are good to kind of replace them. We're basically standing behind abusers. We're co-signing abusers because we're fucking shit. Can you imagine? Can you fucking imagine? In an ideal world, really, when it comes to sports, maybe this is a bit of a radical point of view on this, there should be a real black and white way to approach things. Either you're a club that says, until a player gets charged, we're not going to take any action on them in terms of the sporting side of things. As long as they turn up on time for training, they do what needs to be done to be a professional of our club and they play well, we're always going to play them. You, always, you have to be in two camps. Either you do that or you be the camp that has like a moral spine or you're like, 
if a player does something to bring the club into disrepute, they get caught, you know, they, they they get accused of rape by multiple people. They get accused of domestic violence. They beat children, whatever it may be. If it brings the club into disrepute, then we are also out. There has to be one or you have to sit in one or either the camp. You can't have both or like flip between either approach um, based on the player. You have to either be the the, the club that's, that has a moral spine or that has principles or that has ethics or a code of conduct or you have to be the club that says police investigation it's with the police now but he plays football well so we're going to play him but you can't do both at the same time that's what basically we did we tried to approach it from the whole police investigation thing away to Greenwood then when the fans rioted and went crazy on social media because they didn't want to have an alleged rapist on the pitch then they suddenly decided to be the principled moral people and say we can't stand behind the guy it's absolutely shocking and i for one cannot wait until the glazers leave my club because i think this is the main reason why we're in a situation because it just reminds me of being at work when you're at when you're in a job and you have poor leadership usually it's something that then kind of affects everybody underneath the leaders it's sort of something that goes is a top-down effect as they say, like, you know, fish rots from the head or whatever they say, that fucking saying. It honestly does happen. It happens all the time. And I feel like these players, you know, they kind of know. Footballers are a little bit immature. They kind of act like children anyway. So it's kind of like high school. It's a little bit like college. They know they can take the piss at United. And there's no real consequences. You get contract extensions. You still go on the fucking club tour. You still take part in all the pitches and shit. You get played. They know there's no consequences, but at top elite teams that want to win things, they have code of conduct. They have co they have a code of ethics, code of conduct, whatever they, they have rules. And if you break them, you're out. Doesn't matter who you are. So I love. I really want to get to a place where I love my club again. But for now, it's hard to be in love with my club knowing what's fucking going on because I feel like these owners are essentially running us into the mud, and it's kind of sad. I'm not gonna lie. It is legitimately legitimately sad it makes me so fucking annoyed but hey um what can you do what can you do next we'll talk about this right next this is interesting right because i feel like this is a little bit racist i'm not gonna lie because it seems like it came straight after carnival and it's got it in the headlines so did you know guys did you know did you know in the uk in the uk Nitrous oxide is now illegal. Nitrous oxide is now a cate category C drug. So it's in the same place, I think, as like steroids and like LSD and shit. So if you get caught with a certain amount of nitrous oxide, you can basically get a minimum of like two years prison sentence. Before that, it wasn't. You could just buy as much as you want online. I think people were buying the canisters on eBay because they were being sold as like you know, stuff for like whipped cream and shit. So you could buy like these cake kits and then, you know, cause I know some boys in my hood who were like buying these things and selling them and whatnot. So you'd buy these boxes that were cake kits and then you just buy, you know, have the canisters and sell them outside the clubs. But because the nitrous oxide thing has got so fucking crazy, they have now made nitrous oxide illegal. And it's no surprise they did because look at that skip. This is a skip of all the laughing gas that was found after Notting Hill Carnival. And it's a lot of fucking laughing gas. And the funny wild thing about it is that these days the kids are so fucking extreme with laughing gas. Back in the day, I'd maybe have a couple of balloons, get a bit lightheaded and be on my way. Nowadays, there are kids outside who are holding these entire canisters in their hands and fucking 
taking that shit to the face. They're not fucking transporting that shit to a balloon and then sucking it in and out. Nah, they're taking the entire canister to the fucking face. So you can imagine how crazy it's getting with kids to the point where kids are being admitted to hospital. They're fucking losing the feeling in their legs and shit, becoming paraplegic. It's, it's going crazy. Brain damage. Like it's going wild. These kids are doing too much. So I understand the government wanting to step in, but also find it super funny that they banned it right after carnival. <laughs> you know, they didn't want to lock up like 100,000 kids because every kid that was at carnival was either smoking weed drinking a wild guan or a magnum or they had a fucking canister in their hand so if they wanted to start arresting people or if they if they, if they made it illegal before carnival they would have had you know prisons overflowing with little fucking 18 year olds and 21 year olds <laughs> you know what i mean they don't want that so they did a good thing by doing it after carnival but it does still feel a little bit targeted i'm not going to lie so the article verse um via sky news Nitrous oxide will be outlawed by the end of the year and categorized as a category C drug by the government. The categorization of the substance, commonly referred to as laughing gas, means the users could face up to two years in prison and sellers up to 14 years. I had friends that were making absolute bank standing outside of certain clubs in London and selling fucking laughing gas. Because as you step out of a nightclub in London, it's 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., you're bleary-eyed, you ran out wherever you ran out on, and all you hear is, you know, it's like a call. It's like a, it's like a fucking nitty call. I need some more. Thanks. And then you run over to them, and the guy's like, yeah, I got three for five, you know, four for ten, whatever the deal is. And here you are in the corner of the street with all these fucking balloons going, trying to fucking extend your night. It's kind of, um, there is a lot of like symbolism in that, isn't it, right? You're blowing in and out, trying to fucking extend the life of your night. Must party. When really it's over, it's done for. But here you are wanting to get a little bit lightheaded and kind of lean on a car and walk on the side of the street and shit. It's fucking pathetic, really. At the time you're doing it, it's kind of fun and funny. But when you're walking past people doing it, they kind of look like zombies. It kind of looks a bit crackheady. And it's kind of pathetic. I'm not going to lie. It really is. And I can't imagine how horrible it is for people that live in areas next to clubs. And the streets are covered, covered in these little nitrous oxide canisters. These little steel, aluminium-looking type of canisters all over the street. You, you're walking or you're going on your morning run. You're taking your dog out for a walk. And fucking dogs are lovely, but they're dumb as fuck. One might grab it and start trying to eat it and shit. You have to fucking get your fingers in your dog's mouth and pluck the canister out. You're running and you're kicking little ding, ding, ding. You're fucking, you feel like you're fucking Sonic the Hedgehog with all the rings. Do you know what I mean? All over the place. So I get it. I get why they're banning it. <laughs> Um, nitrous oxide is the second most commonly used drug oh my god what's the first it's the second most commonly used drug among 16 to 24 year olds in england after cannabis wow okay now see that's why i say i've always said this england is a bad vibes place anyway right we hate fun we hate good times we're anti-leisurely activities. Unless it involves fucking alcohol, this country fucking hates it, right? Unless you're opening a restaurant or a fucking cocktail bar, <gasps> anything involving clubs or whatever, they don't like it. That's why I've always said, I find it 
near on impossible that within my lifetime, cannabis will ever be legal in the UK. It's never happening. It's never happening. We're too puritanical. We're too prudish. We're too boring. We're too fuddy-duddy as a country. We would never, never in the million years legalize cannabis. If we fucking made nitrous oxide a category C drug, it's now a class C drug, right? Just lower than a class B and a class A. We're never going to fucking make, you know, cannabis legal. Never happening, bro. Never, ever happening. No matter how much cannabis could, you know, cannabis sales could be taxed and make a lot of money for the government and shit. They would never do it. Never, ever do it. They hate seeing us have fun. They hate seeing us enjoy ourselves. They hate seeing us self-medicate. They hate it. It continues. It comes after 12,000 canisters were cleared from Notting Hill Carnival last month. 13 tons worth. The Royal Borough of Kensington said 13 tons of canisters. God almighty. The council expected around five, expected, had expected around five skipfuls of canisters after the world famous event. Michael Gove, the levelling up secretary, announced in March that laughing gas will be banned under government plans to clamp down on antisocial behaviour. In his announcement went further than the recommendation of review commissioned by the Home Office, which stopped short of recommending a ban. In a statement, the Home Secretary, Suella Braveman, Suella Braveman, or Braverman, the British people are fed up with yobs. They're calling them yobs. That's basically the the white version of a fuck, isn't it? Because unfortunately for them, you know, it's not only niggas that are doing the canisters, it's mostly the white kids. You know I mean, white kids love fucking, you know, they love, they love a good fucking canister to, to the face. So they can't say like fugs, right? They can't say monkeys, right? They can't do that. They have to say yobs. And yobs is a good way to kind of group all kids under the age of 25, you know, antisocial behavior, essentially. It continues. The British people are fed up with yobs, abusing drugs in public spaces and leaving behind disgraceful messes for others to clean up. Earlier this year, the Prime Minister promised a zero-polerance approach to antisocial behaviour and this is exactly what we're delivering. If you're caught using laughing gas as a drug, you could be hit with a hefty fine or face jail time. Yobs for jail time. Fucking pieces of shit. I hate them so much. The Home Secretary said new schemes are already underway to increase police patrols in hotspots. Areas of punishments can be given out. They're going to have police patrolling outside of E1. They're going to have police up and down E1 waiting to hear. And they're going to be running down the street. Over, over, we got, we got a canister, sound of canisters down on the street in Wapping. Responding, responding. They're going to have police officers with fucking their ears cupped listening to the fucking narcs, man. Fucking piggy narcs. Oh, fucking hate them. Anyway, data provided by the London Ambulance Services, given to Sky News, show that 999 calls for instances re relating to nitrous oxide more than tripled in a year with 65 calls recorded in 2021 and 213 in 2022 up from 36 calls in 2018 so it's gone up steadily hasn't it <laughs> yeah the data kind of backs up the band um 
The patients can suffer from a range of problems, from loss of immobility to mental health issues and sexual dysfunction. Yo, kids are getting erectile dysfunction super, super young and it's causing an alarm because they want us to breed more so that we have more kids, so that we spend more and that we pay more in taxes. That's actually why they want to ban these drugs. Because they know when we're high and we're stoned and we're chilled, we're not out there fucking and, you know, sucking and fucking. But if you're chilled and you're mostly liquored up and shit, you're boozed up, you're probably going to be sucking and fucking. Which is then going to mean you're going to pay more taxes. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Into, in very, um, two nitrous oxide patients have had to have drains inserted into their brains to save their eyesight. That's when you know you're doing too much. If you ever do a drug that requires you to be admitted into hospital, that's already a sign. But then if you have to be admitted to hospital, not just for like a, you know, a little standard run-of-the-mill overdose. No. If you have to go to a hospital to get your brain drained to save your eyesight, maybe it's time you quit. Maybe it's time you realize drugs aren't for you. Right? Maybe. Maybe it's a user error thing. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, um, the ban also promised, uh, as part of the government's anti-social behavior action plan, with the Home Secretary urging police forces to get tougher. Fucking hell. Chris Phillip, the crime and policing minister, said, we can't allow young people to think that there are no consequences for misusing drugs. Nope. Anyway, whatever. There's no question that abusing and gas is dangerous to people's health and it's paramount we take divisive action against the situation before it gets worse. So, unfortunately for you kids out there, the laughing gas fund has ended legally. If you want to do it now, you have to do it at home. If you are going to do it in your gardens, in dark parks where you might get, you know, fucking abducted and stolen by the Crystalia types and shit, it's very risky. So now you have to really make a decision. Do you really want to do nitrous oxide? Do you know what I mean? If you do nitrous oxide, you might get diddled. So you have to decide. It's up to you. You kids out there, up to you. Because I ain't doing that shit anymore. I fucking graduated to harder stuff, but I don't even do the harder stuff anymore as much as I used to. So for me, I'm out. I'm tapped out. I could never get to any... And for me, laughing gas is <clears throat> a lot like shisha. Not sure if you guys agree. I think laughing gas for me is a lot like shisha. Shisha, like a couple of times, a couple of pulls here and there, cool. After a while, I kind of get sick of it. It kind of gives me a bit of a headache, makes me a bit queasy. I'm like, eh, I'm good. Same with laughing gas. I couldn't understand why. That's why I saw kids like outside of the club, like taking the whole thing to the face. I'm like, it's never that. Don't get me wrong. If I had a cancer to myself, it'd be cool. But I wouldn't be, oh my God, I'm so happy I would take it to the face. It's not that deep, really. It's not that good. It's like, you know, but hey, what do I know when it comes to that stuff? Maybe I'm the one that's in the wrong. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. Moving on from that, I wanted to quickly talk about these. So I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but we finally got some updated pictures on the rumoured um, Travis Scott sneakers that are due to be coming out very soon. They're called, they're a Jordan. So it's a Jordan collaboration. Very interesting. Instead of him doing a retro model that he's already done before, he decided to make a completely new model. So from the ground up, a completely new model has been made. And he debuted them in the best way possible, 
by standing on top of some of his sick cars that he has all wrapped in brown and looking fucking cool and shit. And he had a picture of the shoe as he's wearing them that you can see here. If you zoom in a little bit, it's got a bit of a strap on it. You see the bit of a swoosh. But the next picture here shows off the shoe a little bit better so you can get a little bit more of an idea on what they look like. And I have to be honest, I really like the look of them. I really like the look of them. They kind of look like to me like one of the better options for me to wear a CrossFit shoe. Because at the moment, the CrossFit Metcons that they have at the moment, which is the, you know, the the official Nike CrossFit shoe or cross training shoe, I've not really been liking the new iterations of the Metcon. I think the last Metcon I bought brand new might have been like a Metcon three or four or something every i think now they're up to maybe over 10 and so far the designs are just getting progressively progressively worse they're not great to look at or even to wear this looks fucking shit so i'm always trying to find an option to wear of a shoe that isn't maybe a conventional training shoe but could be adopted as such and i think this might be a good option there's not a lot of flex in the shoe, um, you know, in terms of running and whatnot, but in terms of just doing some, you know, some classic, you know, cross training workouts, especially having a shoe that has a bit of a zero drop. There's not like a crazy heel on them. I think these might work as good gym shoes, especially with this four foot strap here where you can kind of, you know, tighten them on your feet a little bit and have, you know, your feet be a bit snug. So not moving around the place all over the place and shit. I think these might end up working, but I actually do just like the look of them in general. If I'm looking at them, I'd say they kind of remind me of a mix between like um, a Harachi trainer with the strap, maybe a Speridon, and then I'm not too sure about the rest of it. But I think the, the first two will definitely be the Nike Air Harachi trainer. I'm not too sure if you guys know this one. It's got the strap on the top. I remember we used to wear them back in the day um, when I was into sneakers super heavy. Uh, it's the one with the strap. It's if where's it actually called? That's the one there. It's called the Air Hirachi Trainer, and so that we'd wear it for at school as well in all black. So it's this particular model as you see here, that one there in a the grey. So that new Travis shoe kind of reminds me of that with the strap. It kind of looks similar to that with the strap on it. I think so. Uh, whereas I think it's this one, right? Was it yeah that one? So it kind of looks a little bit like that with the strap, as you can see there. And again, as you can see with this one there, there's a bit of the strap there. And then it also looks a little bit like the Nike Speridon. I think. It's the OG one I'm talking about. The OG Speridon. There we go. Yeah, this particular Speridon. Um, what's it called? It's called the Air Zoom Speridon. So that Travis kind of reminds me a little bit, especially the sole. I think that sole is a Speridon sole, to be fair. I've pr I'm pretty sure it is. It looks very similar to a Speridon sole anyway. I'm pretty sure that Travis Scott shoe is a Speridon sole. Let me just double check here, but I'm pretty sure that sole is definitely the same as this, isn't it? I'm sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there I've got the even tab here. There you go. It's there. Yeah, it's a Speridon. It's 100% a Speridon sole that's been kind of, you know, re-adapted onto the top of that, um, <clears throat> of that new Travis Scott shoe. So I'm looking forward to seeing them when they drop. We have no idea on the release date. We've seen a lot of colorways of him wearing them in different colorways, actually. Let's see if I can get another picture up. There's actually another colorway of shoe, of Jordan, of this shoe from Travis coming out that I've seen that I've not really liked. I think I've liked this colorway the best. This is kind of like a white with the Travis Scott signature brown on the swoosh and on the midsole. But I've seen a few other colorways pop up on my timeline that made me, you know, kind of got me intrigued, kind of sparked my interest when it comes to a lot of this. I'm not going to lie. Uh... 
Where is it? Can I see it? Nope, nope. We've got Jocelyn videos. We've got Bjork here, I think. Some white guy with glasses. We've got some footing. I don't see a lot of Travis here. Maybe I should have wrote Travis Scott. Cut the check on there too. Let's, let's write that. Maybe I could get that up on the screen. Or maybe I can get that up to describe. Bear with me a sec. I think that's wrote Travis Scott. Cut the check. Let's see it here. Let's see it. 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 Oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want Master Jedi. Who the fuck is Master Jedi? I don't know who Master Jedi is. Let's not go back to that person. I want to just, just, let's let me, the Twitter search is a bit weird as well, isn't it? Travis Scott. There you go, cut the check. That's all I want. Just give me that. Let's see if we've got the other colorways I can see here because I remember seeing a couple other ones that I actually liked. The look of, yeah, so we've got this black one. Again, I don't think that's a cut the check thing. I think that's just like a, maybe a sample. He's kind of um, trialing. Or wearing out, test wearing and shit. It looks like a it looks like a low version of a Jordan Five with a backward swoosh on one of the shoes. That's what it looks like. Um, but there's yeah, there, here's a, here's the other colorway. You've got this colorway here. It's like a white, black with a yellow. Um, of course, you've got that original one that I was trying to show you. See if we see any more here. You've got original. Yeah, that, that's the colorway I should, that I was um, I'm talking about here. It looks like a. It looks like a flight trainer or something, right? It's like white with yellow bits and stuff. I kind of like the look of that. And there's also, all, is that, oh, it's the same pair. I thought it was a all yellow pair. So he's wearing those. Let's see if there's any more colorways. There's also this colorway here that I like. It comes in a white with black with the, you know, swoosh backwards. That's pretty decent as well, the white colorway. And like the bit of the white outsole here, that looks pretty nice also. And the big thick strap that you could see on the model which one not this one there so it's the same strap there you can see it and i think that might be it in terms of color so so far we've got three right we've got this we've got the brown we've got the we've got this white and black one and i think that might be it in terms of colorways the other one yeah that might be it only the three colors so far we've seen but i'm so eager to see what they look like in hand hopefully we get a black pair i'd wear those instantly of course and then we uh there we go that's that's a better picture of the of them actually um that you can see them to cut the check shoes. So I'm actually curious to see what he does as going forward because it's quite cool that he's deciding to take this risk because he could have easily put out a Jordan 4, another Jordan 1, put out a 6, a 7, and 8, and people would have lapped it up. They would have sold out in record time. They'd be going for hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of StockX. He could have easily taken that easy risk and did that but he didn't he tested himself and pushed himself and stuff him and his team and worked on an entirely new model they built from the ground up and you know perfect i like it i'm not i'm not mad at it to be fair this particular model doesn't look like it's got a spared on solder that's the only interesting bit so i wonder if all these are like samples that he's been wearing just to kind of wear test but this outsole doesn't look on midsole doesn't look very similar to the speridon-esque sole that we have here on this particular model so maybe this might be the final one or this is part of the test valuation phase of the shoe and shit but either way this is a very different outsole and, and, and midsole to the other ones that we've seen so far but can't wait to see more when they do eventually drop uh big ass travis scott hopefully they drop very soon Hopefully there's no party or festival tied with him because you know what goes down with him when he does those type of things over there in the States. So we can only hope and pray. We can only hope and pray. Um, And then I want to talk about briefly these particular shoes that I'm all over. Um, I think mostly because they look a lot like Air Mocks. Um, or Nike Mox, I'm sure most of you won't like, but this is a new collaboration with the one and only 
cactus plant flea market and nike on this new shoe called the air flea 2 the funny thing about cactus plant flea market um from what i've been reading online and the word around the grapevine the people involved with cactus plant flea market whether it's the founder i forgot her name the woman or whether it's the team that works with her i've read or seen online or heard that they have now replaced tremaine at supreme they might have been working there before there may have been people tremaine brought in i'm not too sure but i've now heard that those people are now have basically taken over the creative direction role um on a somewhat you know temporary basis while the investigation continues and shit that's what i've heard so a lot of people that didn't like tremaine's designs or didn't like the denim tier stuff you're going to be in for a shock because a lot of the stuff you don't like that denim tears does cactus plant cactus plant flea market does i think a similar sort of thing similar aesthetic yes it's another sort of voice it comes from another perspective and it's not like a big fancy head person behind it but it's kind of the same it's for me so you know if you're crying about Tremaine, I want to see real tears from you motherfuckers when you hear that fucking this lady is designing for Supreme also. But I love this shoe because they remind me of the mocks and because they're utterly ugly. Um, the Cactus Plant Flea Market and Nike Air Flea 2 uh, we're releasing in two colorways in holiday, retailing at $220. So we already know the release date and there's going to be another colorway coming. Maybe it's the one that we saw... No, actually, the same color we saw the band guy wearing, right? It was these as well. But I love the look of them. I love the fact that the laces are removable. It was these buttons everywhere. You can put different badges on them and shit. I like them. They really, really do flip and look good. And you've got more pictures here. Somebody actually got them in hand, as you can see. Um, they do their best to hide their finger and shit. They don't want to be identified. But yeah, you can see they've got them in hand. And they look absolutely banging. I can't wait to eventually get mine when they come out because i've got a feeling because everyone hates what they look like and they look so marmite no one's gonna buy them which is big cat because you know resellers and sneakheads are just fucking sheep so as soon as you see someone else wearing it and it looks good they're gonna buy it also so it kind of is what it is but i'm happy that these are coming out regardless because like i said i'm a big fan of the nike air mock and i think that sole of these particular shoes looks a lot like a nike mock and if you don't know what nike mock is i'm gonna get it up for you it's this it's a nike mock it's an acg shoe that i think was designed in that was inspired by a potato or something the idea was like oh how do how would i make a potato into a shoe and then the person decided hey here's how you do it you know what i mean here's how and this is what we end up getting these nike mock things i absolutely love and adore i used to think i was so cool and those things until somebody told me i wasn't then i started to feel super conscious so super self-conscious so it kind of is what it is it kind of is what it is um and then and then and then whilst we talk about that a competitive free market and i think that might be it my lovelies it's only been two hours plus of this live stream of this podcast hopefully you've had a good time listening to my sultry tones and yeah if you've enjoyed the pod um thank you share it with your family and friends and if you have enjoyed it enough please leave me a five-star review on the apple podcast app or whatever podcast app you use leave reviews let people know you enjoyed it so maybe they'll find it maybe they won't but it just makes me look you know makes you look important so help me out <laughs> anyway thank you for tuning in to the Agassino Zinga show it's been a pleasure to have your company if you listen to the audio side of the show you will hear my tune of the day 
as an outro as I speak. You will hear my tune today. Most likely it's gonna be Nelly Furtado, Justin Timberlake and Timberland on Keep It Up or Keep Going Up, whatever the fucking title is. You'll probably hear that playing as my tune today. So definitely do listen to it if you haven't already. And I'll see all you guys again very, very soon. Take care. Be safe. I keep going, I keep going, I keep going up. Still got the belt, don't buckle under pressure